Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn on your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go. Welcome, everyone, to Rock Out Loud. It's a very special Rock Out Loud because this month, 20 years ago, Kristen's favorite movie was released in theaters everywhere. And so we are going to be talking about and even watching together uh, the movie, the Cameron Crowe film, Almost Famous, starring Billy Crudup, Kate Hudson, Francis Francis McDormand. Everybody's in this thing. It's an amazing who's who cast in a lot of ways. So we'll get into all of that. As we watch together and have a good time talking music, talking this movie, talking coming-of-age stories, all of that stuff. But it's not just me, of course. It is the heart and soul of Rock Out Loud. Ladies and gentlemen, up on the uh, up on the shore, it's Kristen in Jersey. What's going on, Kristen? Does anybody remember laughter? <laughs> it's all happening, so my friend. It's all happening. I'm so excited. <laughs> have... <laughs> Have you got your Stillwater T-shirt on? Um, I do. It's the I'm just one of the out of focus guys shirt. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, just let's do this right now. Then fine. Let's just do this right now. Oh man, can we just move to the part where we laugh about it, Kristen? I mean, I think we're going to be laughing quite a lot. <laughs> I think it'll be a good time. It'll be a good time as we uh, as we fire up the old video however you have this i'm watching a digital version kristen has it on dvd and we welcome you to watch along with us uh what you want to do is get your copy of almost famous um and hopefully what we'll do is we'll have a conversation uh that's good enough that it doesn't necessarily have to that you don't necessarily have to be watching the movie along with us but if you want to it's an opportunity to have a fun fan commentary because you know how passionate Kristen is about the things that she loves. And you know how much I'll just sit and talk about something regardless. Uh, so we're good to go. Uh, I, it's a great movie. It's a fun movie. And uh, I think it's going to be a good time. So what you want to do is get whatever you're at. If you're watching a DVD, you want to get past the, the main title screen and, uh, and get it to zero. All zeroed out is the movie starting. Same thing if you're doing digital. Just get it to zeros. Um, it should be a black screen. And, uh, and the DreamWorks logo will fade up when we say play. I'm going to say three, two, one, play. And when I say play, you along with me hit play. So not on three. And, and Kristen had the Riggs and Murtaugh conversation before we got going, the lethal weapon conversation. So I'll say three, two, one, play. And when I say play, as I'm saying play, I'm hitting play. So hit it with us, if you will. And uh, we will watch Almost Famous. So without further ado, without any other preamble, let's just get into it. We'll do all the preamble uh, while we're watching the opening credits. So here we go. Three, two, one, play. And the DreamWorks logo appears. So uh, this is Almost Famous, released in September I don't actually have the actual release date pulled up, Kristen. Um, but it, it was last Friday. Okay, so Friday the 11th? 
Was that yeah. the 11th? So September. Or no, it was, it was the 10th. Okay. It was the 10th. So September 10th, 2000. I'm showing September 13th, 2000. Oh, you might be right. I don't know. I <laughs> thought it was the 10th. It's all good. <laughs> okay. Anyway, the point is 20 years ago, within the week um, of recording this, Almost Famous was released. Did you see it in theaters, Kristen? No, I was too young. Mm -hmm. I because it came out in '99. I think I saw it in like 2001. Mm -hmm. The perfect okay. time to see this movie, like quite honestly, when you're 11. <laughs> when you're. <laughs> I mean, because you haven't been tainted by the world, right. you know. Right. And I mean, hello, I'm I'm essentially William Miller, mm -hmm. but with different you know parts. So <laughs> this <laughs> this movie came out in in 2000 i was um i had just where was i in 2000 at this point in 2000 i had come back no i wasn't back in south georgia yet i was in virginia and so hanging in virginia working mcdonald's and just kind of finding myself in a lot of ways figuring out what my next steps in life were going to be and and i really this movie kind of passed me by if I saw this in a theater, I don't remember it. I feel like I rented this and watched it sometime after it had been out on, on video. It's definitely a good rent movie. Like, this is a great movie to pick up at, like, mm -hmm. a blockbuster. Yeah, Hollywood video. Yeah, on a um, Friday night, make some popcorn. Yeah, and so so I, I you know, I and honestly, I wasn't into the music and stuff. And I don't know that this hit me. This didn't hit me hard at all. Like it really was just not really on my radar for years and years afterwards. Mm. Um, and so now, and, and it, and it probably has more to do with like where I was in life at the time than the movie. Like I know it does. Um, and so, uh, so now, here I am 20 years later, I'm watching this thing the other night for the first time in 20 years. And I was just like, okay, I see you almost famous. I love that. Yeah. I love because like, to me, this movie like was such a part of like growing up and like my childhood mm -hmm. that like I associate it with like a coming of age movie. Right. Yeah. Where like, that was so not what it was for you. And it still freaking resonated. This movie is so good. I honestly think like, as long as you have like a love or an appreciation for music, this movie will resonate with you in some way. Talk to me about the fact that this is kind of based on a true story. I know. Right. What? And the whole, the whole fun is figuring out what's real, what's made up. Right. So what, what is the story that this is kind of based on? Well, it's uh, the biggest stories that it's based off of were Cameron Crowe's time, obviously writing for Rolling Stone mm -hmm. when he was out with the Eagles and when he was out with the Allman Brothers. Those oh, wow. are apparently two of like the really big ones. But mm -hmm. he says there's there's a lot of I mean, we're obviously not at Russell yet. We're just at little child William walking down the street. Right. But like I know he based Russell off of like Glenn Fry, David mm -hmm. Bowie, like Cameron Crowe is famous as saying there were a lot of rock stars that were like Russell is in this movie. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of taking a little bit of everything. I mean, 
there is a podcast series that came out recently called Origins, which mm-hmm. is like a 20 year anniversary of Almost Famous, like with the actors, with Cameron Crowe. And like when it came to his family, he was like, I didn't want, he's like, obviously it's based off of my mom. He's like, but I didn't want someone that looked like my mom. I didn't want someone to look that looked like me. Like I wanted there to be some, you know, liberties taken. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually said that his mom was on set on um, Francis McDormand's first day. And he was like, and I was like, mom, you have to leave her alone. Let her do her thing. And he's like, and like 20 <laughs> minutes later, like they're like dit, 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 talking and he's like totally mortified. <laughs> well, let's talk about the mom here. It, it's a situation where she's this liberal college professor. She's training, she's raising her son to be, you know, everything she wants him to be. You know, they, they're walking out of, when we first see them, they're walking out of To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, and so she's what about Boo? <laughs> and she's having a conversation with this kid about his favorite characters and the meaning behind it and who's strong and who's not, you know, and, and so they're having these these kind of high level conversations, you know, with we find out he's eleven for crying out loud. And mm-hmm. and he's carrying his own. And then here comes Big Sister, the you know, the black sheep of the family. And yep. um and she's here now having a having an argument and <laughs> I love with a moment a, ago. With a Simon and Garfunkel record. Right. And I missed it a minute ago, but her mom's like, drugs, drugs. And points to their eyes like, he's fine. <laughs> Honey, he's fine. they're on pot. <laughs> and I love everything about the whole, like, you know, first it was bacon, eggs, bologna. Then it was celebrating Christmas on a yes. day in September when you knew it wouldn't be commercialized. Like, it is such a restrictive household like there is kind of no freedom and obviously all Anita wants to do is like express herself and listen to her music you know Simon and Garfunkel is poetry and then like right now you see William pick up that Simon and Garfunkel record and show that interest in mm-hmm. it and the moms meet you like nope absolutely right. not but like it. the little seeds are being planted yeah it's um it it, it you know, it it's really interesting because this is a Cameron Crowe movie and Cameron Crowe has all these quirky little things about so many of his movies. I guess the, his biggest film that he had written before this had been, well, I guess was Jerry Maguire. Maybe, well, I guess he wrote Say Anything in Fast Times. Yeah, you know, Fast so, Times, so Say Fast Anything, Times, Singles. Mm-hmm. But in, in recent, in the years prior to this, I mean, the last thing I guess he had written that was made was Jerry Maguire. Yeah. And and Jerry Maguire was a real quirky kind of film. To, yeah. It was, you know, it was, was it a chick flick? Yes. Was it, you know, but also was it a character piece? Yes. And it's something, you know, and, and that's kind of what Cameron Crowe was, you know, kind of became known for. And this really starts out with that quirky feeling of a Jerry Maguire. It has, th- this first act has a very Jerry Maguire feel. Um, I can see that now that you say it totally, especially like this, like, oh, yeah, the kids call him a narc behind his back. Well, what's a narc? Our narcotics officer. What's wrong with that? Like, (laughs) it is that like quirky humor. And then, you know, obviously we get to like the 11. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's the it's the it's the 11. It's what she does to explain why, you know, in a minute when she explains why she's leaving this song explains oh why. my god well, i'm leaving home to become a stewardess <laughs> right you know and and to me i'm like okay this and so as i'm watching it not really remembering much of anything except the big you know bus singing scene that everyone knew oh. especially in 2000 um 
you know, I'm watching this. I'm like, okay, I see what this is. So this will be a fun little quirky movie. But it it morphs uh, as toward the end of the first act, especially as he starts his journey with um, with with Stillwater and everything. It really turns into this this incredibly. I don't know how complex it is, but it is an interesting coming of age story. And it is. you know, there there's stuff in there I've told you before we got going, you know, that makes me a little uncomfortable. There's a moment that I don't think would fly in twenty twenty. There are um you know, there's all this these different cast of characters and there's a lot of humor and a lot of comedy, but there's also a lot of heart. And so it's you know, I feel like it's Cameron Crowe doing really what he does best, and that is just telling a human story. Yeah. And I mean his whole thing when he here we go. Oh, the song explains why I'm leaving home to become a stewardess. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, what a line. What an incredible line of dialogue in a movie. <laughs> it's so good. And with Simon Garfunkel's America. Um, but, like, when uh, Cameron Crowe wrote this movie, like, it, he it took a long time for this movie to be made. And his whole thing was like, he wanted to write a love letter to music and about mm-hmm. music because it's, it has given him so much in his life. Mm-hmm. And I know in the one podcast I listened to, he was talking to Peter Frampton and he told him like, Hey, I'm making this movie. Like, you know, do you want to, you know, help me out with this in some way? And, you know, he said, he's like, I'm going to do this, but like, I'm going to do it right. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. Like, you know, obviously we got to be making a movie here, but I'm going to keep it, you know, true to the heart. And, you know, I think this scene is just, like, incredible. Like, it speaks to that heart of the moment. Like, look under your bed. It'll set you free. Like, for anybody that has found music where, like, I'm someone, I mean, we've been doing this podcast for how many years? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm someone that literally, like, music has changed my life without music. Like, I don't know that I'm here right now. Like that's how important music is to me. It is, it is essential. So like to hear that in a movie when you're 11 and people are kind of making fun of you for, you know, being super into music and just showing kind of any sort of passion about anything. That's not like kind of the norm, Mm -hmm. like to hear someone say that in a movie, like look under your bed, it'll set you free. And it's like, Oh my God. Yes. Like that's me. And I just love it. And I love that we see all of, you know, we see Carmen Crow's records here. You know, we see all the big ones. You know, we see Pet Sounds. We mm-hmm. see Aerosmith Records, you know, Jimi Hendrix Experience. Like, you see all these major albums and immediately you know where this is going, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I like to think that there's a note in every one of those albums. Obviously, she leaves a note in Tommy that says, you know, listen to Tommy with a candle burning. You mm-hmm. can see your future. <laughs> like, I like to think there's a note in every one of those albums. Which, you know, that's what I yeah. would do. L- listen to Tommy with... That's what I love that one. I'm like, no one has ever said that about Tommy in the history of the world. <laughs> Anita did. <laughs> <laughs> and you will see your entire like, future. Like, that's something, like, that's something people say about a Pink Floyd album, not Tommy. <laughs> that deaf, dumb, blind kid sure plays a mean pinball. I just love, too, that, like, you know, we're introduced to Anita with Simon and Garfunkel, right? Like, that's kind of her soundtrack mm-hmm. at this point in the movie. And then all of a sudden, it's like, we're at the Who. And it's like, oh, okay. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> like, I could see why the mom at that time would be upset about the Who. I really don't see why the mom at the time is upset about Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, that's, a, that's I was, well, you know, and again, that's just how strict she was. And in, in coming from 
the background that I come from, I totally get that. Now, my parents were not yep. that strict and oppressive, you know, but but there was kind of a moratorium on rock and roll in the house. You know, <laughs> I, we, we celebrated Christmas at Christmas time. We didn't care about the, We loved the commercialism, you know, that sort of stuff. We Bologna was in full supply in the Glosson <laughs> household, you know, but... Um, but, you know, but there was kind of, we were conservative. We are, I come from a very conservative family and I'm still, you know, by all intents and purposes, really, especially today, by today's standards, ultra conservative, um, you know, but so, so this music didn't have the meaning it does in my life, but what everyone can relate to is the journey of finding yourself and figuring out who you are and who you're going to be. You know, and, and, and we also can all relate to not being cool and having that brush with being cool, yes. you know, coming so close to like feeling like you're there and then doing whatever it takes to fit in and be that person. And, and, you know, and, and dude gets pulled along on a journey, like, you know, of that, by the way, I watched this and I, I'm just, I got angry at Philip Seymour Hoffman. Why? Uh, for dying? For dying. Yeah, yeah, because he's absolutely incredible. I feel I think he's in the movie for like eight minutes, and it's so impactful. Like this introduction scene is so great. Like even if you don't know who Lester Bangs was in real life, you immediately know this guy as soon mm -hmm. as he comes on the screen. Yep. Like and again, like you know, true music, not just rock and roll. It chooses you. Like this is a like this is just speaking to the music nerd in all of us, you know. And like I love that he's like Iggy Pop. We got to put on the Iggy Pop record. And she's like, "Don't you think it's a little early?" And he's like, "Not for me." <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, we're gonna listen to Iggy Pop at you know whatever time of day it is. Right, it's fine. right in the morning on the morning drive. Here's Iggy Pop yep. on the morning drive. <laughs> you know. But also the fact that he gives this kid a chance, you know, that yes. he gives him. It's just, it's a really cool kind of thing. And, but I do, I, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman was one of those guys that just, he, he lit up the screen when he was on it, you know, yep. and, and such, he was so versatile in everything that he did. And I just watched this and I just kind of got mad at him, you know. I, I know, like, I mean, <sighs> I'm with you. Like he was honestly, like, he's probably one of my favorite actors like probably like in like the top three of all time like he's just so incredible and like stuff like this just like you know like i said like these roles just like speak to me mm -hmm. on like another level um but like like i said in this movie he just he lights a spark and yep. he's not in it for all that long right and it's just and like he provides you know laughter like he provides comedy in here like you know he does everything in this role i feel like totally underrated mm -hmm. yeah and and but he but well he's the guy that keeps driving and he becomes kind of the voice of you know if this is a hero's journey then he is the he's the master to the apprentice you know he yes. he's the obi-wan to to luke skywalker here because he's giving all these things and you kind of think and what's great about this character what's great about this person is you kind of think when you first meet him he's he's a dude acting acting bigger than he actually is mm -hmm. and doesn't and he probably doesn't really know what he's talking about but then you realize yeah he totally knows what he's talking about you he's know lived it. he's he, been there right yeah and you almost feel like he is you feel like he's doing this from experience when he tells the kid don't be friends with the band yep you know you feel like this dude got burnt at some point in his life too 
They're going to buy you drinks. You're going to meet girls. They're going to fly you places for free. I know it sounds great. Like the whole thing, like these people are saying, they want you to write sanctimonious stories about the genius of rock stars. They will ruin rock and roll and strangle everything we love about it. But he's like, okay. And I want to, I want to go there with that quote. They were going, they're going to strangle They're going to ruin it and strangle everything we love about it. Yep. Here is a dude that was here in the, you know, when was this? The seventies? Yeah. Yeah. Like early 70s. Yeah, because they said in so many years it'll be 1984. So yeah, in the, in the early 70s, talking about rock and roll is dead. You yep. know, rock and roll had been around at that point for barely a decade. You know, rock and roll I was going to say like maybe 20 years. And so I'm, I, my, I guess my question is, is does every generation look and say rock and roll is dead? And are we now at the point where rock and roll is dead? I, I feel like yes. I feel like every <laughs> single generation. Yeah. Like... Think about it. Like after, you know, you had, you know, the 27 Club deaths when you had Jim Morrison, mm -hmm. Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, when they all died, people were like, rock and roll is dead. When John Lennon died, people were like, John, uh, rock and roll is dead. Mm -hmm. Then you had like the 80s metal, rock and roll is dead. Then grunge came along and everybody was like, oh my God, it's back again. And then guess what? New metal comes along. Rock and roll rock is and dead. Roll is dead. <laughs> it never ends. But Kristen, the people like us who love the 80s metal... When grunge comes along, we're like, well, rock and roll is dead. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, everything I love is dead. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, here we have probably one of the most iconic, definitely probably the most iconic moment for Frances McDormand in this movie. I mean, her major line, you know, don't take drugs. Don't take drugs. <laughs> and then you have them all mocking her. Don't take drugs. Yes, mother. <laughs> also, there's something about what she's letting him do here. Yeah. That is surprising. She's to the reins a bit. Yeah. And it, it's really surprising that she lets him go on this whole journey. You know what I mean? Like, it, 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 and, I, and I was watching, and it, and it about midway through kind of dawned on me, wow, she's letting this kid do this on his own. And is she trying to correct a mistake that she feels like she may have made with her daughter? I feel like it's a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. I also feel like she knows... I feel like she knows William, right? Like, William's always been, like, he's wanted to impress her. Like, he's shown interest in the things that she's taught him. I feel like she can trust that he is going to do the right thing. And I also think it helps that, like, this is all under the guise of, you know, I'm getting paid to write for Cream Magazine. This, mm -hmm. is, my, this is a job. Yeah. You know? So right. it's like, I feel like that can also soften the blow a little bit, you know? Well, I, and I love that she says he's going to be a lawyer at some point. I you know. know? And, <laughs> and, like, and so does so does Lester Banks. He's like, I think you should just go back and be a lawyer or something, mm -hmm, you know? Yeah. I love also, I mean, here, I mean, we're at another infamous scene. There's so many scenes in this movie that are sure, just massive. Sure. But, I mean, we're at the introduction of Penny Lane. Right. This is the big meeting right here. But I love, yeah. the, I love the tenacity of the kid. You know what I mean? Like... I love the I love the fact that he kept ringing the bell, kept ringing the bell, you know, and just wouldn't you give up. You know what's up. great about that too? I feel like, uh, like if you're 15, you will do that. Right. Yes. Yeah. Like when you're 25, you're not going to do that. Yeah. A 15 year old will have hey, this, like that innocence. When you're 43, you won't do that. You know. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> like the older you get, like a 15 year old is going to be like, hey, 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 what the hell? Mm-hmm. I mean, and here's, okay, so obviously we're in the infamous Band-Aid conversation, mm -hmm. right? And um, something that I love from the untitled version or the bootleg version 
is when she's like doing the whole thing like we are band-aids and then the other girl that's with her essentially she goes mark bolin broke her heart man it's famous and penny's like i'm retired now i'm just visiting friends Mm. so it kind of starts that whole like i'm retired i'm retired thing like immediately and you're like that's interesting like visiting friends and I feel like Penny is like that totally like, you know, keeps it cool. And then the other two girls just lose their mind when the limousine pulls up and it's like, okay, ways to act around rock stars, ways not to act around (laughs) rock stars. Yeah. It's well, I love that. She's like, it's totally, you know, like the one girl gets so offended by it. The girl that's not Penny Lane gets so offended by him calling her, calling them groupies. And then she acts like one. It's like you're saying, But also, like, there's this moment, and and I and when I was watching this, I'm like, why did Penny Lane grab him? You know, I was like, what a it was it was a very cool move by her, you know. And at, at, immediately she sees something in this kid that she wants to, I don't know, make him cool, help him grow up, you know. Yeah, there is there's a scene in the untitled version where Russell and Penny are having a conversation in the ice room and he says to her he's like he's telling her the things that he loves about her essentially and he's mm-hmm. like the fact that you pick up strays everywhere you go and mm-hmm. he's, re- he's referring to William like she just sees things in people at one point she talks about like he's my last special project I only do this for a very few people I, she is somebody that like has like her circle and those are her people and she's going to do anything she can for those people. I laugh at his little run down the ramp there. Just seeing oh the way God, he's got his little arm. <laughs> it was such an awkward little run, but what a great <laughs> move right here. Yeah. Yes. Because again, they are totally shutting him down. Like we play for the fans, not the critics. And then all of a sudden he's like, cool. You play for the fans, Russell, Ed, Jeff, Larry, I love your band and just went off. And like, they're all like, Oh, well, and what oh, I God. what I love is he tells Russell he's like the, the those guitars. What sword he uses here? Incendiary. Incendiary. And like, and then and then Jason Lee's character's like, what about me? I'm not incendiary. I'm incendiary too, man. <laughs> Jason Lee. Call that too. Jason Lee is 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 such a was such a cool for me a cool discovery in this movie because I did I didn't realize he was in this at all. And, you know, and, um, and he's just so much, everything he does, in my opinion, is so much fun. He just puts, he is, I want, I want to say this in the most complimentary way possible. He's like a poor man's Ryan Reynolds. Um, okay, I could see that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, and that seems insulting, but he really, he doesn't have like the full on looks of Ryan Reynolds, but he's got that great personality. He's got that, that way of just being very uh being very affable on screen and you just absolutely take to him and love him regardless of what he's in and, and he's um, perfect in this role yeah he's oh he's wonderful singer yeah like he because again like he goes off on these tangents like rock and roll is a lifestyle and a way of thinking it's not about money and popularity although some money would be nice like <laughs> right you know right like he just goes off and then you just have russell that's just standing here like there he goes again. <laughs> is this is this the movie that kind of helped him? And again, I don't want to sound. This is going to sound so absolutely pretentious and hateful. Is this the movie that kind of broke him out from just being a Kevin Smith guy? Um, oh, for sure. Because again, when I was listening to that podcast and they talked to him, he said he's like, when I got the opportunity to be in this movie, like I was just a Kevin Smith kid. Like I okay. 
I couldn't believe that somebody like saw this in me to do to do this movie. And you know what's great about Cam- Kevin Smith, just as a side, as a side, he was. I've not heard him talk about it, but I guarantee you, he was super stoked that Jason Lee was in a Cameron Crowe film. Oh, totally. because he, he's such a good dude as far as like just wanting his friends to succeed and stuff. And um, I love that she finds him a pass. Yeah, like I love it. She says, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll fix this if I can. Right. And she does it. And I love, I love this scene. This scene is so incredible. Like, you know, she's kind of trying to get in with William, the whole, like, how old are you? Mm -hmm. Like, she just, she just knows something about him is special, but also like he's a fish out of water. Mm -hmm. Right. And you just see him, like, he's totally infatuated. Oh, he's, he's absolutely smitten. Yeah. He's smitten kitten. Mm -hmm. And like, he and talk about another like perfect cast like he is amazing in this role because he just has those wide eyes and he just observes and watches people and you could just see him react mm-hmm. to her and like like we said like he's totally smitten and then you have the scene that comes up in a few seconds here where Russell comes over and they pretend to not know each other and it cuts to William where he's looking between the two of them like these two definitely know each other. Well, because there's such a powerful moment of emotion with Kate Hudson here with Penny Lane. Like, like she's almost in tears. Yep. Also, know? can I tell you the story behind this scene? Sure. So Cameron Crowe apparently loved to play music on the set during scenes to mm-hmm. kind of like set the mood. And he was playing The Promise by Bruce Springsteen. And mm. she just started crying because of the song. Mm-hmm. And Cameron was like, do not take the camera off of her. Like, what she's doing right now is incredible. And then, like, they move to, like, you know, the Russell, like, Russell's close-ups and everything. And then they put on this Joni Mitchell song, River. And she's like, I could not keep it together on mm. set during that that moment. And, like, that's something that wasn't in the script. Like, it just happened. And it's magic. Yeah. Like, that scene is magical. Yeah. Well, it just shows that... You know, it it does such a better job of of showing that they do know each other, but also there's this connection between them, and it's one that she feels very powerfully. In yes. a lot of ways, she's the William to Russell, you know? Um, yeah. And as, as William is to her, she is to Russell, because they're never going to be for real, she and Russell. Um, yep. And, he will always be unattainable to her. Right. And and she will always be unattainable unattainable to William. Um, yes. you know, and, and and you feel for William, like poor kid, he's he's just flying too close to the sun on wings of wax almost. But um but you don't really realize that about her until it's a little it's almost like it's too late, just like when she realizes it, you know, you realize around the oh same my time. God. And yep. so I love this. Uh, I love this this musical number. I love what's going right. on here because they, dog. yeah, they do a great job of making it sound like. Um, uh, honestly, it has a little bit of a, 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 a Levy Breaks vibe yes. from from the especially those drums. Yes, from Zeppelin Four. And so there's the other song they, that we get to see them do a little bit that has a vibe for something else, and I can't remember what it was. I'll have to turn it up when we. It's very there. bad company, I think. Yes. But you, you tell me what you think, but I get bad company. The the other song you're talking about. Yeah, Love Comes and Goes. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's to me when it first starts up, it's got a very much a levy breaks vibe, and then as it keeps going, it's got a stranglehold kind of feel to it with that yes. bass and everything. So, like this song's a jam. Like yeah. I'll put this song on a playlist, you know, and just jam to it. Who, like it's not like oh yeah, it's just a it's just a movie song. It's fine. Well, here's a question: Who was actually doing the performing of 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 their stuff? Honestly, I can't tell you with any sort of confidence. I know it's not Jason Lee singing. Right. Um, I feel like it might be Peter Frampton on guitar. Wow. I don't know. Yeah. Because Peter Frampton like taught Russell how to play guitar for this movie. So he would be passable, you know? Um, so I feel like it's it's him, but well, I'm not I'm not sure. Well, let me Google that for you. also while you're doing that like i love this moment like you know william leaving and you know oh yeah come to la we'll talk some more and he's like all right you know see you later jeff palexia dick and he's like red dog the wheel rusty like all all that yes he like he's in this world and he wants to like fit in like he knows he wants to fit in Mm -hmm. and i just love that again it's like that whole like like a 15 year old would do that like it's perfect. We we need to talk about Sapphire. Is that her name? Vicky Valencourt? Yes. Um <laughs> Vicky Valencourt. Or I mean, she's Nancy from the craft. Okay. Well see, I didn't see the craft, but I saw Waterboy. Um <laughs> Vicky Valencourt. But here's the thing, I'm looking at her and this whole time I'm like, who is that? Who is that? Who is that? And halfway through I'm like, Oh, it's Vicky Valencourt. Um she is she has this great presence as like you know she is the queen of she all of the, the band-aids queen. yeah yes yeah and and so as much as we love penny lane and are there with her like you almost get the sense that like yeah even penny kind of answers the sapphire even penny's not on that level and you find it's like okay well sapphire is set up immediately too because sapphire comes in the limo with black sabbath right you know, yep. when they're like, I think I saw Sapphire in there, and then she comes out. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like Sapphire is like, you know, for anyone that is, you know, uh, brushed up on, like, your Band-Aid slash groupie knowledge, like, she's like the Pamela DeBar. You know, like, she's the B.B. Buell. She is, like, those hot, where it's like, no, I go, I'm go, i with the big bands. I'm not with, you know, no offense to Stillwater, but I'm not here with Stillwater. I'm here with Black Sabbath. I'm trying to, and like I'm... you said, I'm, I'm okay. This is what I've got. Just to, this is just a snippet from the Wikipedia. Seventies rocker Peter Frampton served as a technical consultant on the film. Crow and then wife musician Nancy Wilson of Heart co-wrote three of the five Stillwater songs in the film, and Frampton wrote the other two, with Mike McCready of Pearl Jam playing lead guitar on all of the Stillwater songs. Oh, interesting. But I don't have the vocals and stuff yet, so. Also, I mean, the moment that just happened, too, with the, like, I'm going to go to Morocco for one year. Do you want to come? Like, again, another improvised line. Like, when William says, ask me again. Like, that's literally Patrick Fugit, the actor, being like, I don't know that I got it on that take. So he's like, ask me again. And then she asks him. And again, it's that whole, like, keep rolling on this because this is magic. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's see. I'm getting lost in Entertainment Weekly article now, trying to find. (laughs) (laughs) And I love the whole thing, too. Like, and the chicks are great, right? Like, again, and then at the end, you know, you have the chick at Rolling Stone that's like, and they call all the women chicks. As a woman, I find that offensive. Yes, (laughs) yes. 
Like, it's just so, like, it just cracks me up because it's like a lead singer would say that. Like, and the chicks are great, right? Mm. Here's I mean, an, then, you ha- then you have the infamous line here. Sorry, go ahead. Here's an interesting quote. Um, uh, Crow nervously showed an early cut of the film to Jimmy Page and Robert Plant in London because um, he was trying to get their permission to use the Zeppelin songs in the film. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and they said, they, he said they not only liked the movie, uh, this is what Nancy said. Nancy Wilson said they not only liked the movie, they allowed Crow to use their tune. That's the way on Famous's soundtrack, and they and this was the first time they'd allowed one of their songs to be used on a movie soundtrack. Um, Interesting. Robert Plant gets Stairway though. Nope. Robert Plant was pacing around saying that guitar player. I know that guy. Uh oh, sorry about that. And Cameron goes, well, that's Billy Crudup. He's the actor. And Plant goes, no, no, no. I mean, I know that guy from that time. I've known that guy all my life. I mean, that's that's pretty tight right there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, you might as well get credit for, you know, the highest people. Uh, also, like, you know, this, like, Vic, the Zeppelin fan. Yes. For, again, anybody that goes and travels to see, you know, these bands and gets involved in these scenes, mm-hmm. like, you all know this guy. Well, it's Jay Baruchel. We yeah, we, oh, we all know. He touched his pen five yeah. minutes ago. Yeah. No, please don't smear it. Please don't smear it. Like, we've all <laughs> been there, you know? Well, and, it, and again, that freaking line of the whole, like, if you ever get lonely, you just go to the record store and visit your friends. Yeah. Like, again, to an 11-year-old that doesn't feel seen and feels, like, totally ostracized because of the love of music, it's like, no, my people are out there somewhere. I just got to find them. Ladies and gentlemen. At this time, please extinguish all smoking. For the captain has turned on the no smoking sign. <laughs> Jay Baruchel is the big Zeppelin fan as Vic, though. He is, like, that dude's he's the voice of Hiccup in uh, freaking Train Your Dragons movies. And, oh, I was like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> and if you ever saw Fanboys, he was Windows in Fanboys. He was one of the main characters there in that movie. And that's when I first was introduced to that one. Um, and now he's Vic. Miss Penny Lane. Miss Penny Lane. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I love this too. I love just like, you know, casually playing in the room, the acoustic guitar. I love Anna Paquin doing the whole like act one in which she pretends she doesn't care about him. Like that whole mm-hmm. thing. Like, because it is, it's a total dance that these two are playing. And then again, you have in the untitled version, when they go into the ice room there is a much longer scene that tells you so much more about Russell and Penny. And she essentially says to him, like, you know, how does it end? And he's like, how does what end? And she's like, oh, we know the story of the girl that meets the guy who has the ex ex wife. And and she's like, you know, he, he calls her, you know, a hundred, okay, five times. Can you see? I've seen this movie a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes and doesn't even leave a pass in San Diego. Mm. Wake up. I'm retired. And he's like, you're retired, like Frank Sinatra's retired. And again, he tells her like all the things that he loves about her. And she's like playing coy. And then like he finally gets her and she's and he's like, you know, come with us on the road. And she's like, never. And he's like, we leave at 7 a.m. pack light this time. (laughs) (laughs) It's the total dance. Like they just the two of them. It's like they can never have each other, but they can't stay away from each other. Yeah. Yeah, but also, you know, like I say, as you as you as you roll on, you realize that in a lot of ways, it's a choice he's making uh, 
to not be with her and that she really she's made the mistake of full of absolutely falling for him um but then at the end you know the let's say all the things we never said and she still does not be like come here she sends him to william well that's and we'll talk about them when we get there because i think that is just such a wonderful wonderful thing that she does for william right um yeah because she knows that he needs that more than she does yeah um but I, <laughs> I love this scene where, because you you out, you offer a kid seven hundred dollars, a fifteen year old kid seven hundred dollars in the nineteen seventies, and he's like, "What?" And the dude's like, "All right, fine, a thousand, a grand." But the whole and then <laughs> I need to do that thing that fixes the garbage disposal. It's such a weird, and I love the just they let it hang, they let the silence hang there, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, just say that's your wife, man. I'm sitting there thinking, just say it's your wife, dude. Just say it's your wife, and then. Dude bells him out. So, and again, like you have Philip Seymour Hoffman in the Detroit Suck shirt. Yeah. I love that he's listening to "Go All the Way" by the Raspberries. Like so many of these rock critics, like love the Raspberries. So mm -hmm. I feel like it's perfect song that they're playing right now. And I just love the whole like you know, don't do it for people that are trying to use you. And you know, and then he's like, "Who are you listening to?" And William's like, "Stillwater." And he's like, "Stillwater kids doing drugs." <laughs> 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 like it's just so matter of fact like there's no way that you can like this band <laughs> this band is not good to glorify don't let those swill merchants rewrite you yeah i love it. he says don't let them use you to glorify um what do you say basically hacks like still water yes <laughs> still water i just love he hangs up on him the kids doing drugs <laughs> and this scene right here with him in the red shirt is the stairway to heaven scene oh, okay so if you've ever seen the stairway to heaven scene this is the very very end of it where they all like corner her and they're like you're gonna listen to this song because like i'm presenting this to you this, this is not about drugs and sex this is about tolkien this is about literature and like he plays the song and she just sits there stone faced the mm -hmm. entire time. Yep. And then at the end, she does the, you know, no more than two weeks. I want you to give me a phone call or number where you are every minute, not more than one test. Yeah, that is, um, th we watched that scene one time. I guess maybe you sent it to me and it was like our post show kind of wind down. Yeah. yeah. Because I did remember that scene and I, and, um, and I was like, oh, where is that? Where is that? And I didn't, and so, but it was a deleted scene. Um, yeah. And even on the uh, untitled cut, it's still, deleted because yeah. they couldn't led zeppelin would not let them use that song yeah well led zeppelin has by and large you know been pretty protective of their music they they've let immigrant song out there a couple of times in a couple of movies um yeah. the the school of rock and then thor and um it was almost on uh on stairway was almost on wayne's world but they got stopped yep <laughs> no stairway no stair Way. denied <laughs> denied <laughs> i love this too i love going to all the different hotels mm. and like another small thing in the untitled version is william takes things from every single one of these hotels mm. he takes all these mementos because he thinks he's going to be leaving like at the next stop you know so he's like, well, I don't know if I'm ever going to be here again. So he takes all the stuff. And then at one point, someone sees his bag and like everything falls out everywhere. And he's like, what the hell? Why do you have all this stuff? He's like, I thought I was going home. <laughs> <laughs> I love the I love old Sheldon there. She freaked me out. She freaked me out. <laughs> don't take drugs. That's the message. 
she's a handful. <laughs> and again, love this. Like, Rolling Stone, like, he represents the magazine that trashed Layla, you know, ripped Cream, ripped every uh, album Led Zeppelin ever made. Like, he is the enemy. Like, I love this whole dialogue that goes on between the band the entire time in this movie. Like, no. Like, he, he represents the enemy. He is the enemy. But it would be cool to be on the cover. Right. <laughs> and now... <laughs> because, again, he's the lead singer. <laughs> and now, bless his heart, he's in the room with... <laughs> these girls have all just kind of in, intruded upon his room. Yep. And... <laughs> And Simon Kirk from Bad Company is by the pool. <laughs> and but that that's that thing though where it's like he just is he wants to be cool and you know and he's like well if this is what it takes. Yep. We'll do it. And he's also like they know he's not going to be like get out of here. You know like he is going to let them stay with with him like, like it's like yeah just use my room it's fine like whatever. Also an interesting fact too of that like I. I don't know why, but I like never realized, and some people like the theatrical version more because of this, but in the theatrical version, <laughs> you never see Penny and Russell kiss. Mm. So everything is behind closed doors. Yeah. So even though like we see Russell and it's like, sometimes, you know, he's a nice guy, but he's this enigma, right? right. But it's like, we don't see what Penny sees. In the director's cut, they interact a lot more. Okay. They are they are affectionate. So some people do not like the untitled version because they're like, no, like we like that we never get to see their relationship. Like because when she says to William at one point, like you don't know what he says to me in private. It's like you're right. right we don't. We don't right. get to see that. But, but we get that little like you know sneak peek into their world in the untitled version. Mm -hmm. Um, this is this is such a fun scene. <laughs> Where she's, <laughs> I love you. He respects women. He he likes women. And let's just pause and appreciate a man like that. <laughs> you raised him right. Like she's giving the mom a pep talk. <laughs> so, and we're all looking out for him. And he's still. This a is a maid speaking, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> this is the that right. That's such a great cap to that whole scene. This is the maid speaking. <laughs> and she realizes it. She's like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> This is a maid speaking, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good, it's such a fun moment. Um, but yeah, bless his heart. I mean, like every, and what I love though, is like every time William looks at her, like you can just see it in his eyes. Kid did such a good job of, um, of pulling off the, just the, the unrequited love look every time he looks at Penny Lane. Yep. And, um, <laughs> like that's starstruck like and i mean i've listened to interviews with patrick fugit and he said he's like no like i was totally in love with kate hudson mm -hmm. like who, who couldn't be in love with kate hudson like in like in that movie and on that set so it's like that whole thing of like it's acting blurring the lines of reality a little bit this is like this moment right here like again it's like it's kind of like the showing the ugly side of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, we're all having fun. Everyone's great out here, but it's like some of us have girlfriends back home. Some of us have wives. Like, it shows you like that seedy underbelly of rock and roll. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and that's and that's the thing. That's when it starts. That's when, like I say, once you move out of that first act of the quirky family, 
you know, kid kind of like this discovering music and talks to the talks to the guy from Cream. And now once you move into this middle part, this this I don't even know if this is fully the second act, what you'd call it. But once you get in this, it gets a little darker. Yeah. And and, and there are moments that are very uncomfortable, but it's just like the truthfulness behind, you know, this is what goes on on the road, you know, and, and everyone knows that when it comes to these guys, you know, that, that traveled, I mean, how Gene Simmons for crying out loud, you know, he's one that's notorious for, you know, just, just man whoring around for lack of a better word, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it is, but I also like, like this whole conversation with them started, he's got his little recorder and his microphone right up in his face. Like, yeah. so what is it about music you like? Shut that thing off, man. I'll tell you the truth, all right? Here we go. Can you, I, I, you know what I didn't ask you before we got going? Um, can you hear the music when I turn it up? Can you hear the? Yeah, I okay, can. Good. Perfectly. All right, good. Because there was one time we were doing something you couldn't hear, and it was like, well, this is an awkward kind of yeah, show to do. Yeah, so, it was so bizarre, but yeah. now I can. Good. Um, this Our is Ace Freely moment. I was going to say, yeah, this is such a 70s rock and roll moment, you know, where there's just one, where where there's so much juice going to these microphones that if it's wired just the wrong way, or if there's a puddle, you are in trouble. Yep. And it's, I mean, it's the whole reason why we have the song Shock me by kiss that's right <laughs> and i love this too like i love the promoter being like you didn't play your full 25 minutes <laughs> he just like doesn't care like he's like lock the gates the whole time <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to buy a gate yeah <laughs> and it's so funny like this is mark Marin too mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. what like like you said everyone's in this movie there's so many like well like rain wilson is at rolling stone there you know and it's just yep it's all these faces like just before, you know, there, there are very few that are, you know, right there during it. Um, this is also great too. Your mom called. Uh, yeah. I forgot to tell you. She says she you got to tell you, I know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you guys in Topeka. And then she hits the wall. <laughs> that's like, again, that's one of those great little Russell Crowe quirky moments, like just absolute, slapstick comedy in the middle of this stuff going on. Yep. And the entire time you're like, um, is something about to happen here? And you're like, Oh, there it is. <laughs> oh. You want to buy a gate? <laughs> we just bought a gate. Oh my God. And then we go into the Zeppelin song, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the way, right? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. See this is my, my only Zeppelin knowledge comes from, uh, almost famous. <laughs> Well, also, this is, um, it's an interesting song for them to choose to use. Because mm -hmm. That's the Way is not one of the ones, the first things that come to mind when people talk Zeppelin. You know what I mean? Yep. Neither um, is Tangerine. Well, okay, maybe I'm the only one that talks about Tangerine. <laughs> I love Tangerine. <laughs> um, I mean, I only love it because of this movie. So. Right. But yeah, like you don't really think of... That's one that people don't really turn to a lot when they're talking about your your Zeppelin hits, you know. Um, but it's so it's a great it's a great choice to use. It's you know, 
in my opinion, in my humble opinion. I mean, it's your podcast, Steve. You get to have an opinion here. That's the beauty of it. Well, thank God. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I love this too. Like, you know, what do you think of Russell? Well, I like him, but that's between us because I'm a professional. You know, like, again, like trying to be like, I'm a professional here. Like, I'm here to do a job. And then he's like, I need to go home. Like, even now we're starting to get the, like, I need to go home. Right. Like, and he just I did the out here. And he also just did something that's like just a total throwback to his mom. No, 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 no. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's that's exactly what his mom did earlier on when he was asking to go. I got to get my interview with Russell before Greenville. Good old Greenville. Good old Greenville. <laughs> and I love this whole running thing, too, the entire movie. What's your real name? Yes. And then you get it at the end. But what's your real name? <laughs> also, like, total perfect Jason Lee moment right here. Yes. I'm easy to forget. Just leave me behind. <laughs> I'm, I'm just the lead singer. lead singer. <laughs> so good. I mean, because, again, you hear all these stories about, like, oh, we left, you know, we left so-and-so at, at a rest stop, and, you know, we were the next town over before we realized, oh, hey, we, we left him at a rest stop. Like, and it's doing that without being spinal tap. Mm -hmm. You know? Right, it's yeah. It's all these, like, callbacks to things that you are aware of that's happened without being a joke. It's and, not like, a, right. great, but... Well, Spinal Tap is meant to be parody. Spinal Tap is meant to be, you know, um, even to a point satire. You know, this is, this is just, hey, here's a funny thing that happened. You know, so. Oh. I mean, now, now we have the, your aura is purple. Yes. Purple, yeah. it's purple. <laughs> <laughs> and again, like she says, I could stay in your room. And he's like, sure. And the mom's like smiling, like okay, like, this is good. And then, you know, we say the thing that we should never say in front of the mom and we start going into aura talks. Right. Yes. <laughs> so. I love that Penny's like, purple? Really? <laughs> Do we know what what aura colors mean? I don't know. I don't. But I would imagine purple is like, you know, loving and welcoming. Like purple just seems like a, you know. It's a good thing to have a purple aura. You know, the year must have been 1995. And me and some friends were headed out to the old haunted church out in the country. Um, because that's what you do on a on a Friday night. You go get scared at the old haunted church. And um, and this, this church, this old rundown church. Oh, wait. I love this string of questions. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Is the song better if it really happened to you? Like, love thing. Where did you write it and who is it about? Who is it about? <laughs> <laughs> when did you get so professional? Um, oh, the t-shirt scene we referenced earlier. I'm wearing it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> my uncle got that shirt for me as like a joke. He thought it was like, oh yeah, like whatever. Like, and he gave it to me and my aunt and we both opened it and we were like, how can you tell? I'm just one of the out of focus guys. <laughs> and he's like, I can't believe this is your favorite gift that you got for Christmas. It's oh, like, this man. is amazing. It's like, yeah, that's awesome. But we were going to this place and this church was on the edge of a, of a cotton field way back. In, and it was an old church from like who, you know, God knows when prior century or whatever. And behind it is an old cemetery. And this church has nothing in it. It's all gutted out. The windows are busted out, you know. And there was a storm coming up, and lightning was kind of lighting up the area because there's no lights back on this in this field. 
And so the front of this church, and it's just really spooky and scary. And there was old guts of a piano in the back of the church that the wind would blow through the windows and hit those strings and it would make weird noises. But one of my one of my best friends at the time, of course, I had a crush on her because it's high school and you have a crush on any girl that gives you any attention. You know, we're 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 leaving, we're walking back from that after we've all scared ourselves to death, and she's like, Steve, you have such a bright white pure aura. And I'm oh, like, God. all right, well, now it's gotten really weird. Thank you so much. You did not offer me any comfort in our time of being freaked out with the broken <laughs> graveyard behind the scary, scary butt church. So, you are a ghost. That's what she told you. You're right. a white aura. You're exactly. a ghost. Right, right. Well, this is not comfortable at all. So, <laughs> quick, quick to the 83 Caprice Classic. All of us pile in. Oh, my God. I can't. Uh, also, can we take a second because we haven't talked about this yet? Do you know who was originally cast as Russell? No. Brad Pitt. Oh wow. Brad Pitt was cast first. He was he. I think like six months. He was like he was gonna play Russell because you know he's into music. He mm -hmm, was friends mm -hmm. with Cameron Crowe, and he was like, um, you know, I just at the end he was like, I just don't. I just don't get it like you get it. Mm. And he was like, so I'm going to walk away. Mm. And it would be so different if Brad Pitt was in this movie. And also, again, a great Jason Lee moment, by the way, of like, I look for the one guy who's not getting off and I make him get off. Mm -hmm. Actually, <laughs> that you can print. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. That's what I'm saying. Moments like that, the, the line delivery is very akin to some Ryan Reynolds deliveries of lines and that sort of thing. I want to go back to the Brad Pitt thing. Yeah. Uh, it would have been a very different movie, yes. But I will say this. If Brad would have been able to wrap his head around it, Brad Pitt gets kind of looked over as being a good actor because he's such a good-looking dude. I love him. He is probably my favorite actor. He does. He is He is a really, really good actor. And yep. and um, and so I that would be interesting to see. Um, not that, you know, Billy Crudup does an awesome job. You know, in like he embodies this character. So, well, I mean, look, I'm sorry. When you've got the lead singer of Led Zeppelin saying, "I know that guy. I know that guy." Yeah, you he know. did something right. And what about William, like snagging that T-shirt? Like, I'm gonna have the one that's left. Right. Exactly. And again, like when you watch the untitled version, you see him taking all these knickknacks and everything. Like when he grabs that, like it's even funnier because you're like, "Oh my god, I get why he takes that shirt now." <laughs> There's a moment I missed earlier, well, the first time I watched it the other night, um, and I noticed it earlier, at, back at the hotel in Topeka when he when Penny tells him to go away, uh, and and he takes the Do Not Disturb sign and turns it around and to make, clean this immediately. <laughs> such a great move. Like that, that's a spite move. That's perfect. But it's also such a, like, it's a, it's a dude move as well. Like, that's something me and my friends would have done to each other, you know, like. So but yes, Dave, please come in. So this is where they're going to the party, right? Yeah. yeah. Because he's only interested in what's real, real people. And then, right. of course, you have the kid driving up in the old Volkswagen <laughs> mm -hmm. who's like, we're just real Topeka people, man. And he's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Want to go to a party at my friend Aaron's house? I know you're a big rock star now. <laughs> <laughs> just like looking, some good people looking to have a good time. I mean, this is almost if if he was if he were more low key at this party, he'd be Billy Crystal. I mean, not Billy Crystal, Billy um, Bill Murray at a party. You know that thing that you have yeah, the legends where he, where he just shows up at these parties. But you know, here he is. I mean, can you imagine like you're hanging with friends? No, and I die. You, 
but then I'm just saying that all of a sudden, like, you know, not maybe not necessarily. Well, just all of a sudden, the guys from from flipping uh, from flipping the strut show up at your house to hang. I would die. You know, but I mean, that's the equivalent of this. I love like this. Like, just cracks me up too because this is like it gives me a days of confused vibe. You know, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. die when they're all sitting there, and he's like, "That's William over there." Hey, William. <laughs> That's also again, like here's the thing. Cameron Crowe's a funny guy, you know, and and moments like that just really bring that to light because he, you know, as he he writes those moments and then of course directs them and it's just it's it's great comedy. Yep. And again, like this whole like real man, real, you know, real, and then you just get the you want to see me feed a mouse to my snake? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what's funny is like you see what you're seeing right now are the levels of him getting high. Yep. Like right now he's in he's in philosophical bullcrap mode. In 11 years, it'll be 1984. You know, think about that. But but in a minute, he's going to be after school special PCP mode. And it's and it's. Oh, my God. Yeah. How do you know when it's kicked in? He's, he's going to be. <laughs> and I just that he drinks it and then he like chokes on it he's like Topeka <laughs> <laughs> I love that he slaps dude's chest I know <laughs> please, please don't, don't give him any more acid. acid thank you <laughs> yeah he's going full on Helen Hunt and after school special here that again from that podcast i was listening to he billy crudup asked nancy wilson like have you ever done acid and she was like yeah he goes what was it like and she goes it feels like electricity is coming out of your fingers and everywhere in your body and if you watch his hands Mm -hmm. he's constantly moving his fingers like electricity is coming out of his fingers You can tell Rolling Stone magazine that my last words words were were, I'm I'm on drugs I'm on drugs chubby kid that's like yeah <laughs> and then the next one i dig music and he's like okay whatever and i'm on drugs i'm on drugs yeah! oh man really quickly i just want to last words i want to mention to everyone that helen hunt was indeed an after school special about pcp um Are you serious? yes it was oh. i think there might have been two there was one called angel dusted and then there was another one called Mad About Crank. Oh my God. But in it, she gets high and jumps out a window. I mean, and you know, those after school specials back in the day, in the 80s, they would come on literally after school and they would have like lessons you to learn. And there he goes, jumping off the he roof. Goes. <laughs> and he's like, oh my God, Russell's dead. <laughs> save Russell. <laughs> I'll save you, Russell. <laughs> oh my God. I can't. I mean, and now we got, we have the ultimate almost famous scene, the most infamous scene of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Also, this, so this whole thing of the whole, like, you know, how do we know you're not a cop? This is based off of um, when Cameron Crowe was out with the Allman Brothers. Mm. Right after the one died. Sorry, Allman Brothers fans. Who I don't know which one died. They, I think they're both, they're both dead now. No, in the 70s. Like, one Mm -hmm. of them died super young in the 70s. Um, And he got him to do an interview, like, we're talk about it. And, like, it was a really deep interview. And then all of a sudden, like, he gets a phone call after he does the interview where they're like, he wants your tapes. 
And the whole thing is, he, he was like, how do we know you're not a cop? Like, that was the whole thing. So he kept the tapes. Mm. And then, like, a week later, his photographer friend got him the tapes back, like, all the way from Hawaii. Wow. Because of that whole thing. Like, how do we know you're not a cop? Because yeah. he was so off his rocker on drugs. Yeah. Dwayne died in 71. There we go. Okay. And then and then I knew Greg Allman died just a few years ago. Also, I hurt the flower. Did you? Did you hurt the flower? That's, That's nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> and again, like this moment, like he walks on the bus and it is tense. Yeah. Like you can feel the tension. You have the whole like grandiose, like, we'll see you all again in 1974. Good evening. I mean, They're all what stoked. a manager. Yeah. What a, what a manager. Um, yeah, this, this whole scene is, is the one that was in the trailers and everyone like, this is the scene that was the iconic scene from this movie at the time. Um, and it really, I don't, I don't think I'm wrong in saying it, it brought this song back around into the public conscious. hundred percent. Elton John told Cameron Crowe, I'm going to have to start playing this song live now. Yeah. <laughs> Again. Like, just like, it wasn't even in the set list right. until this movie came out. Wow. And so it's, but it also is, is this great moment because they're all mad at each other. You know, I love that the drummer's just kind of, he's the oblivious one. Silent Ed. Yeah. He's just back there doing his thing, (laughs) but that is such the drummer. You know what I mean? And so. You know, what's crazy about this scene too, is like initially, like literally in the script, it just said like they get on the bus they sing tiny dancer and then like they got here on the day and cameron crow was like oh we this is this is a scene like we can't just do this throwaway we have to take time to do this and the studio was like we cannot give you more money to shoot this movie and he's like I- i'll worry about it later like we have to have this scene the scene has to be perfect so we said like they literally just shot all of them like hundreds of times singing tiny dancer and if you look behind russell the guy that plays the road manager he's mm-hmm. like a punk rocker and hates this song <laughs> so you can just see him he is he's like miserable. not having it <laughs> he's miserable <laughs> like even when it kicks up he's like no <laughs> What I love about this scene, though, is that they're all like this is the makeup scene for the band. Yep. Like this is yep. this is the moment where they're all just you know they're like we're going to be okay. We're moved. We've moved past the t-shirt point. We've said all we've got to say, and now we're moving on. The power of music compels you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> what she was doing. And also the whole the whole you are home yeah. improvised. Oh wow! That whole moment was improvised. Yeah, do you think, let me ask you this, and, and let's talk about Penny Lane for a moment. Now, also, I love the girl trying to keep up taking notes. Rock, I know, she's like, Rock, Rock started kidnapping kidnap my like, son. Oh, okay, let me write that down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that, she, like in any other movie, they wouldn't let that comedic beat just stand on its own. Yep. The professor would have to say, no, don't write that down. It's really happened, you know. But they let it stand for a beat, and she just walks out of the room. It's great. Um, <clears throat> Another great Philip Seymour Hoffman moment here. You know, this is this is what you do. It's uh, 
it's a think piece about a mid-level band struggling, you know, with their identity and the harsh face of stardom. Mm-hmm. He'll wet himself. <laughs> well, and and here's the thing. When he's telling him this, I'm like, there's no way. There's no way this is going to work. This is going to be that. This is where we're going to see just what a loser this dude is. And he's going to dis and, and kid's going to be disappointed in his mentor and everything. And, uh, and so when he actually does it, it works out. Yep. And Here's, because it's, I like what I'm hearing. Yes. Is this the scene? Yeah. This, makes is, you uncomfortable? this makes me uncomfortable because you're talking, oh, okay. you're talking about an underage kid. Uh huh. You know, and you're talking about, you know, these of age women deflowering. But are they though? Well, I hope so. I mean, I tend to think they're at least eighteen or nineteen. And I, I, look, I know that any fifteen year old kid is not going to any fifteen year old boy is not going to be upset about what's to take place. <laughs> I mean, especially with three, right. three, three girls, right? But, um, but it, it's still just, it's one of those things that I don't know that it would stand in 2020. I, I think that you, you have too many overly sensitive people with too much time on their hands nowadays. This was a huge piece in the, that article I was telling you about beforehand that was mm-hmm. like, here's all the problems with Almost Famous mm-hmm. in 2020. Mm-hmm. And this was one of them. But see, like, it's interesting because the whole thing in this movie, like, aside from Sapphire... I feel like it's never made clear how old the band-aids are, right? right? You know they're young. I mean, you have Penny when they're doing the whole, like, how old are you? Like, 18, and she's like, the, me too. And then when she gets to 16, she's like, me too. Isn't it funny? The truth just sounds different. So people are like, is Penny 16? Was she lying to, to, to get William to, like, you know, be truthful? Was that, like, her kind of manipulating him? And like now, see, Anna Paquin looks like she's twelve in this movie. Well, yeah, Anna, Anna Paquin always looks like she's twelve, which is unfortunate. But, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, because she's going to now Anna Paquin after this is going to play Rogue in the X Men movie. Oh God! And but I mean seriously, like you know, and she's a she's a high school student in that movie, so she's playing that age. She's playing down. Um, I want to go back to the scene you're talking about where she's tell where they're doing the age thing. Mm-hmm. I. Th- I I felt like he knew she was messing with him, but in messing with him, he you know, in joking, he became more and more disarmed to where he was willing to tell her the truth about his age. That's that's my read. I feel like she's been around, she's you know, she's eighteen, nineteen, twenty, you know, and she's just kind of taking care of the kid. Yeah, like someone she knows like he shouldn't be there. Not that he shouldn't be there in like a bad way, but it's like, oh, he, he's like, I have to protect him. Mm-hmm. Like he could easily be influenced. Yeah. <laughs> Things could go terribly wrong. <laughs> I also crack up at this whole thing. Yeah. Like, hello, hello. <laughs> this is Ben Fontorez <laughs> calling from Rolling Stone. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's going to mess around. And he's immediately like, oh, God. <laughs> wow. And then we go into that deep voice, that mm-hmm. fake voice that I'm sure everybody has done before where they try to make themselves sound older. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then you get the reality check. It's like, we only have one Hunter Thompson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love she's like, man, I need some. And then and he puts his hand over her mouth and she's going to finish the sentence. After all this and year. She, and she's going to literally 
literally say coffee. It's like mm-hmm. you probably could have you probably could have let her say that. I love this is a cream magazine. And this is where I'm like, oh man, he's just gonna make it worse for himself. This is everything that uh that he says, and he's gonna lay it on him. It's a think piece about a mid level <laughs> man. Struggling with their own limitations in the harsh face of stardom. And I love it. She's like, that's great. That's great. <laughs> And then, like, he wastes no time. I like it. I like what we're saying. Yeah. Yep. Let me get you a thousand more words. I mean, good <laughs> night. <laughs> and he's just like, again, it's like, oh, my God. Like, he keeps failing upward. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Like, like his whole thing is, I've never written more than an essay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and she's like, don't worry, baby. You will. <laughs> and he's having a total crisis. Greenville is so boring. Oh, any other city in the world. <laughs> yep. Well, and, he, and this is great too. Like, can you take the laundry? Like this whole thing of him being like, what am I to you? And then that, that smack cut where mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, he took the laundry. Yeah. <laughs> I love the outburst and I love that they just let him do it. Like they just sit there. <laughs> listen, Tell me right now. What am what I to am you? I to you? <laughs> Two bags of laundry later. The awkward, like, walk of shame. Like, oh, you're here. You're in that room now? Yeah, he's doing the walk of And I love that he's doing the walk of shame. They've duct taped it now. Do not I disturb know. ever. Ever. And then the quick response, please go away. <laughs> now, see, in this scene, in the uncut version, like, he sits out there and he, sle- he like, falls asleep. And then Penny and Russell are both, like, come to cleveland we're not gonna let you miss out on the rock mecca of the u.s and he's like he's like i have to go home i have to go home and they're just like come to cleveland and then literally penny goes it's all and then william just like cuts her off he goes i know it's all happening and he says it with like such sass Mm. wow that's a great i know it's so great he's like i know it's all happening (laughs) and they look at him like oh (laughs) This is, but this is this moment, this raw moment of like he's, you know, he's over his head, and yeah. you just feel so sorry for the kid, and and like this, he, it's to me like I look at this thing, and it's just he's on this downward trajectory, you know, the rest of this time until the very end, and yep. you know, and and it and it tends to work out for him. It it's it's really, and it also it's just really well structured in as much as you know. It, the the article doesn't work out because they won't confirm everything that happened at first and everything. But um. also, I mean, we have to talk about the Bowie scene, right? Yes. Like again, in the untitled version, that guy that screams it's Bowie, he's going on this whole diatribe in the uncut version. That's like, you know, Ziggy Stardust is good, but like it's mass media. You know, it's hamburgers for the apocalypse, and he's like so not into the new music. <laughs> and then Bowie comes in, he's like, it's Bowie. <laughs> And then, I mean, I love that you have the people throwing the glitter or the stardust on him. Like, I love it. That moment is like 15 seconds of pure joy. And like, if you took it out of the movie, it doesn't take anything away from the right. movie. Right, but when you add it back you in, know? it's a great comedic moment. Yeah. Exactly. This. Showing the craziness of the road. This is one of my favorite scenes. I Be bold. The mighty forces will come to your aid. <laughs> I just love how she takes over this conversation with him 
Yep. <laughs> and then we again get the line of your mom kind of freaked me out. Yes. Yes. Your charm doesn't work on me. Of course you like him. <laughs> <laughs> he worships you people. And that's fine by you as long as he helps make you rich. <laughs> he's in over and his head. I just love like that moment. He realizes he's in over his head. Yep. And this is the moment he finds out he's 15. Mm. Your Valhalla of Decadence. Another great line. I know all about your mm -hmm. Valhalla of Decadence. He's not ready for your world of compromised values and diminished brain cells that you throw away like confetti. Am I speaking to you clearly? I love it. He's like, yes, ma'am. But you know what I love? You know what I love is the first thing she says, if you break his spirit yeah. in any way. Like, like because you realize that for all of her strictness and everything, she still wanted both of her children to grow up to be free-thinking, intelligent, free-spirited, you know, individuals who aren't beaten down by society. You really see that this is a woman who who desperately loves her children. And she's as intense as she is, you know, and, and really that first scene, the first couple of scenes set her up as almost the enemy of her children, but she's not. Yeah. And, and that comes full circle when, you know, at the end as well, when they yep. both go home and, um, just, but I love that scene. I love just how she absolutely stands him down <laughs> to the point that he's like, yeah, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And I love the whole too, like, you know, now go do your best. Yeah. People, the mighty forces will come to your aid. Like, yes, I just that. love that. Like, yeah. she's still being a mom, you know, like, it's not too late for you to become a person of substance, Russell. Mm. She means well. <laughs> she, she means, means well. well. And here we got Love Comes and Goes, the total Bad Company-esque song, which I love. Absolutely, I thought of Bad Bad Company when I first heard this the other day, for sure. Yes, okay. Yeah. definitely it's so good yeah well that's the other thing like like you know obviously with nancy wilson and russell crowe and peter frampton writing these songs there was an you can tell that there was an intentionality of making stillwater be every 70s rock band you know that, Absolutely. you know of, of just throwing so that so that you could say well is, are they supposed to be zeppelin are they supposed to be are they supposed to be bad company are they you know who are they supposed to, yes they're supposed to be all of those people and, um, and it's perfect because if you listen to these songs, like if you put these songs in a playlist with those 70s rock bands, it's not going to stick out like a sore thumb. You're like, right. oh, who's this? Right. Yeah. It's and uh, and and so that that's the other thing I really noticed. I was really struck by the music watching this the other night, which, again, 20 years ago, I wasn't. I was just kind of, well, this is a big movie right now. What's everyone saying? You know, what's the big what's the big hubbub, bub? You know, <laughs> this is when. Uh, probably my least favorite person in the world, or one of my least favorite people in the world, comes into the movie. Like, I can't stand Jimmy Fallon. Oh, I'm really? so sorry. <laughs> when did that yeah. happen? 
I just can't, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like his shtick, like, when you don't know his shtick, this movie's fine. Mm-hmm. But after, like, knowing, like, just how fake he is and seeing how fake he is, and I'm just like, I can't stand you. Are you, like, are you talking about? The, I want to hit him. Okay, so are you talking about the character that he's playing, or are you actually talking about Jimmy both. Fallon? Okay. Well, well, both because Jimmy Fallon is playing this character. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do, I mean, you gotta love the joke of like if you think Mick Jagger is still gonna be out there trying to be a rock star at age fifty. And what's funny is in in two thousand, wasn't he twenty? I mean, wasn't he fifty at that point? You know, like. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> that's that's what's crazy. It's like, but. You could have made that joke and said it's 70 and and been right on. Because he's still going. Good night. 70, I just looked up 77 years old. Whew. Yeah, at 50. When did he and Bowie do Dancing in the Street? Like probably 83? He was, he, was 50, he was 40 then. So. Oh, my God. Yeah, because he was born in 43. Oh, my God. So, yeah, he's, he's pushing... Yeah, wow. <laughs> and I feel like, aside from when he was, like, super young, I feel like Mick Jagger has always looked old. Like, even in the 80s, Mick oh, Jagger yeah. looked old. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that hard, that's what hard living will do for you. So it's one of those things. Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes it just preserves you, and you're like, how the hell? Like, if you look at, like, Stephen Perry, or Steve Perry, oh, my God. Right. Stephen Tyler Steven and Tyler. Joe Perry. Yeah, yeah. they, they well, look pretty good. Look, Keith Richards and Mick Jagger are basically mummified. But definitely Keith Richards. Yeah. Steven Tyler's had some work done. Yeah, but ha- I feel like most people have. Yeah. Ringo Starr is 80. What? Holy cow. Yeah, I just pulled up a list of something. Here we go. Let me just run down this list I'm just seeing here. I don't want to miss a moment here, though. I don't so know. Let me just talk about this moment real quick. Sure. The whole Kate Hudson dancing in the empty auditorium. Mm-hmm. So, again, a moment that... When they shot it, they were like, "Okay, we're gonna have this scene. You're gonna be in. You're gonna be in the auditorium. It's gonna be empty, but you're gonna be dancing." And then, as it happened, Cameron Crowe still says to this day, "Like that's the most important scene in the movie. Mm. Like that is the most beautiful scene in the movie to mm. him." And you... again, that is a longer scene in the untitled version. That's about like a minute minute long scene. It's amazing to me, like again, just from the from the movie standpoint, from these character standpoint, that Russell lets this fifteen year old kid get back on a plane with him instead of sending him home after he finds out he's fifteen. Rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and again, here we go with again the seedy underbelly. Yeah. You know, oh yeah, the road manager poker party, and you're like, oh yeah, cool, it's a poker party, good for them, and then you suddenly find out what is being gambled. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's not so fun anymore. Yeah. Paul McCartney, 78 years old. Who else is up there? I got, uh, I got Elton John at 73. Okay. They're just these, what's so crazy is because of the music, these people are ageless. I know. Yeah. And then they've got a bunch of like other like children and stuff. And think about it. Like Paul McCartney still goes out and plays three hour sets yeah yeah you know it's did you know crazy. you know i saw paul mccartney i do you talked yeah. about it before it was so weird <laughs> <laughs> i don't i didn't know i knew three songs 
there. I was there. I was there. Got really mad. I mean, about... and here we go. We have the moment. You know, fifty mm-hmm. bucks in a case of Heineken. Mm. It's like all all the band aids have to leave the tour before New York. We're gonna sell them to you for fifty bucks in a case of Heineken. Wow. Like, uh, uh. like I can see people having an issue with that. Sure. <laughs> that, yeah. That's annoying. <laughs> but but it's also but it's also you know the fact of like you say the seedy underbelly of it all. And then you have this great moment with Kate Mm -hmm. and Patrick. And I just love that. Like, again, this is where we get that, that, you know, that dialogue of like, you know, you don't know what he says to me in private. Maybe it is love or something that, you know, that as much as it can be. And then he just can't, he can't keep listening to her. He like, Mm -hmm. he has to tell her what he knows. I also love the, don't tell me this stuff. I want to like him. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't we all been there where it's like, no, I want to like him. Yeah. And again, the whole like, look, I know I'm not on the plane. So in the untitled version, they have a party for Penny's birthday. And she's cut and she's like, you know, giving pieces of cake away to people. And Jimmy Fallon's character comes up to her and he says, I'm sorry, the plane isn't bigger. And it's just this dead silent moment like where everybody's singing and happy and joyous. And then he's like, I'm sorry, the plane isn't bigger. And it's just like awkward silence because she knows that the wife is coming and that she can't go with him. Mm-hmm. And it's just like heartbreaking. And yeah. again, like, oh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Jimmy Fallon. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> was kill. It's all Jimmy Fallon's fault. It is. And again, like, if I ever met a man in the real world who looked at me the way you just looked at me and then when and where does this real world occur? Like he's over it. It's too sweet rock and roll. Mm. That would be you, Steve. Someone would say that to you. Like you're too sweet for rock and roll. Here's the thing. Like, honestly, you know, there there comes a point in your life where you become a little more self-aware. And like I say, in 2000, I was still trying to get life figured out. Like, where am I going next? What's my next move going to be and everything? And and so I wasn't really paying attention, I guess, when I watched this movie. You know, it was just like, all right, this is kind of a distraction. As someone who looks back on life, like, I, there's so many things about this kid's situation that I identify with. I wasn't traveling off with rock stars and everything, but... I was the kid who probably reached a little cooler than I should have, you know, and, and every guy knows crushing on the girl who's just out of your league. Um, you know, and, and, and the idea of, yes, like you said it, when she said you're too sweet for rock and roll, I'm like, I I, I feel you, William. I got that. (laughs) Noted buddy. Welcome to the club. Yeah. Yeah. I want to rock, but, uh, and again, this beautiful moment of just like sadness, what kind of beer? Mm-hmm. Like laughing to get you through the tears. Yeah, yeah, it, amazing scene. Well, and but what's what? Here's the thing, though. It that scene that breaks her. That moment breaks her. Yes. And you know, it's it's almost like earlier on, she's like, "He's my last project." You know, I do this for very few people. You know, you were talking about her saying that. She thought she was in control of the situation. She, I think, she really did. Yeah. And and that moment broke her. And you see that every other scene she's in for the next fifteen minutes here. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Like she is a broken person. Mm -hmm. It's, um, and it really does make you hate Russell. Like you, because you can't help but like Penny Lane. Yeah. You know, um, regardless of what's going on, regardless of the awkward situation that, you know, (laughs) back in Greenville, you can't help but like this person. She, Kate Hudson plays that magnetic personality so well. Um, the confidence in the, in the magnetism that she has. And so to see her broken, like, good Lord, just do not like Russell, you know, at this moment in time. And you hate Leslie. Like as soon as she walks across the street, you're like, oh, I hate this broad. Yeah. And even when she, like her first word, Jeffrey, like even with like this attitude that she speaks with, you're like, oh my God, I do not like girl but you know what what's awesome is um well there's vic (laughs) there's vic it's all happening they are here zeppelin are here they are here (laughs) what i love it's like they were they were in topeka with you too pal or wherever he was so i love the way he says sapphire and miss penny lane he does the little bow thing when he says her name yes (laughs) emily rugburn rugburn Yeah, urgent call. Of course, it's mom. It's always, oh, but it's not. No, it's not. It's Rolling Stone. That's right. It's Rolling Stone. Publisher. It's John Winner, who is in this movie in a few minutes. Mm. <laughs> I just love that. Like, again, you get the whole like technology thing, right? The technology right. joke. Like, oh, yeah, they'll let us use a dojo. And it's like, a dojo? Yeah, it only takes 18 minutes a page. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, and this is in the days of facts. You know, this yeah. is this is before you were actually scanning and sending PDF documents instantaneously. This is, you know, in 2000, you're watching this like, oh, I can fax something in a few minutes. No time, no problem. <laughs> and now instantly. Hello. Right. Um, this is fantastic, though. He just doesn't. Because they won't listen to him. Right. <laughs> and then they're all like, wait, what? We're going to be on the what? <laughs> Can we also say they sing cover the Rolling Stone horribly? Yeah. I, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, like, come on now. It's so sloppy. It's great. <laughs> right. It is very sloppy. <laughs> <laughs> like I just... And then, okay, you have Jason Lee. Damn it, I'm going to enjoy this. Like, <laughs> just going off. <laughs> but I, I want to go back to when Leslie walks up. Jason oh, Lee, yeah. like Jeffrey kind of lights up when he sees her. And oh, yeah. and it's so subtle and you don't think about it until you know what's coming with the plane later yep. on. And you're like, Same oh. in a few seconds here when Russell stands up, watch Jason Lee's eyebrow looking at Leslie. Mm-hmm. Like again, like once it's on like those second and third rewatches, you're like, yeah. oh. Yeah, a lot of little nuances here and there. Interesting. On the cover of the Rolling oh, Stone. Rolling Stone. And again, like, she's trying to be like, great, I'm happy for you, but she can't. And then Leslie, being Leslie, mm-hmm. why is she creeping you out, Leslie? You're all singing. You can't look over at a group of people that are singing. I love that William tries to take the fall there. Yep. I love, too, that you never hear what the road manager says to her. Hmm. Like, I wish we would, but it's like, what in, like, in our heads, what we probably see as being, 
Like, what we think of that he's saying with her is probably worse than what he is, you know? Right, right. Because you can, you can see it. She is so hurt. Mm-hmm. It's it's oh, it's so sad to watch. Also, um, you know, just you know, feminine perspective. I love Russell's jacket. <laughs> <laughs> I love the purple velvet. And then look at his eyebrow. Watch. Just a slight yeah, raise. Yeah. And again, you just you know, the first time you watch it, you don't know what's coming. Right. Once you know what's coming, you're like, there it is. There How did I is. miss that? Yeah. He's still into her. Yawn in the uh, in the taxi. Yawn winner, the real one. Oh, is that who that is? Yeah, that's Yawn winner. Oh, cool. Also, like the founder or the curator or something of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. so he can he can stick it where the sun don't right. Shine. He can suck an egg. <laughs> oh, egg sucking dog. <laughs> somebody that wants to tell me what's cool right. no you don't tell me what's cool he's the guy he's the guy who wants to put flava flave in the rock and roll hall of fame exactly yeah but no we have to make bon jovi wait for years <laughs> now this scene is interesting so i mean obviously when this movie came out there was a lot of and since there's been a lot of articles and interviews done with the famous you know girls that would have been exactly who penny lane was mm-hmm and a lot of them say the movie is perfect except for one fatal flaw. And they all say that no Band-Aid, groupie, whatever, would try to kill herself over the guy. Mm-hmm. Like, they all have a problem with the fact that she, you know, took a bunch of Quaaludes, needs to get her stomach pumped. They're like, the girl would never try to kill herself over the guy in that situation. And again, like, you know, we were talking about the whole Led Zeppelin thing earlier. I mean, like, you have these girls that live this life. If the only problem they're saying is they're like, yeah, it took us out of it as soon as, you know, she overdosed. Well, Because but, screw them. <laughs> but Right. But see, I also think that you're dealing with a situation where, yes, any, any regular groupie or band-aid or whatever you want to call them understands their role and understand what's going on. So a sapphire wouldn't get this upset or any of the other girls wouldn't be this upset about the situation. But when you have, but this is the thing, Penny got too invested. You know, she, she kissed, she kissed him on the mouth to to use a pretty woman reference. It's, you know what I mean? And so, and so that, I think what you can't, you can't look at their situation and say, well, this was wrong. You got to look at this character, and this character serves the story, and that's and that's what it's there for. Because, and I think that's the point. It's like she is the one who, though she put out there like she was doing it the right way, or and I use that term very loosely. You know, she puts out there like she's 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 doing them a service. You know, no, she got too close. She got her heart invested into it. She, as I said earlier, she is to Russell what William is to her. Yep. And, and, and that moment where she asked him, why, why doesn't he love me? Like, again, heartbreaking. Right, yeah. And, you know, and what's amazing is here's graduation going on with all the hope and dream speeches and everything. And he should be there celebrating this achievement. 
instead he's here trying to keep someone who's ODing on Quaaludes awake and yeah. having to call and, and basically save her life. You know, and it's that whole, whole like you know the whole speech of like you know go out there live life you know the your life starts now and it's like he is out there in the real world right now trying to save the girl that he loves essentially mm -hmm. yep yep and and a lot of people in these articles that you know we were talking about before have problems with this too like now i'm about to go where many men have gone before and he kisses her while she's while she's overdosing and i'm like yeah but i don't know well, here's I really the, don't have a problem with that. Okay, but also because, look, here's the thing. He loves her. He's into her. He's 15 years old. Yeah. Let's never... See, that's the thing. I, I think that 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 it, as much as the one scene with him and the Band-Aids makes you... You know, doesn't bother some folks or whatever the case may be, it, it bothers me for the same reason that moment doesn't bother me because that's something a 15-year-old... Regardless of how smart the kid is, he's still not mature. You know, yeah. he still has some growing to do, and that's a that's a fifteen year old's move to do to do that um, in the moment because and he gave her like a three second kiss on the lips, right? And and it's something also understand that his whole drive through this whole thing, as much as he's wanted to get the story and everything, he's also been pursuing this girl the best way he knows how. Exactly. So, you know, but he just now, saves her life. I also so have a, another um, untitled scene that is about I'll, to be cut. Well, let's from this talk. Moment. Let's talk about my Sharia Moore as she's throwing up the contents of her stomach into the bathtub. I know, and he's just like lovingly like, "This is the best looking puker I've ever seen in my life." <laughs> he's like, "She is going to live, yay!" <laughs> yeah. But so this scene right here, where they're walking in Central Park. A big part of this is cut out before mm -hmm. what they show. So she tells her story to him here, which I can't believe they cut out. But she says, like, it was the middle of Midnight Rambler, and Keith Richards saw me. He came to the front of the stage. He pulled me up. Um, he took me backstage and gave me a Coke with ice and a lemon, and I never went home. And then that's when she says to him, so in reality, I've done twice the things I've said I've done. And then she goes into the whole thing of marry up, marry someone grand. That's why she called me lady. It's like, I mm -hmm. I get it that they want Penny to be slightly mysterious. Mm -hmm. But I think that adds so where it's like, no, how did this start? No, right. Keith Richards pulled her up and uh, brought her backstage and she never went home. Yeah. Lady Goodman. Lady Goodman. <laughs> and again, we have that seats and tray tables. It's like that whole, like, again, there's all these little references mm -hmm. that are used throughout the movie that take on different meanings as the movie goes on. Yeah. And who doesn't love an airport goodbye scene? Who doesn't love running through the airport? <laughs> well, when you could do that. I know. <laughs> also, I feel like the wings of this plane would a hundred percent like hit like that airplane is so close to yeah. the glass. Yeah. It's uh... a, <laughs> well, it was the seventies. It was a crazy time. Even Good even God. even like, for yeah, airports. We don't need to be far away. Yeah, even for airports and airplanes. This is what what I love about this is like this is just a take on all those old movies where people were leaving on a train. And they yes. and and, yes. and you would run yes. down you would run with the train as far as you can and like but this is happening in this like 
you know, someone, the other person on the train would be hanging out the window and stuff. But here, she's just touching the window, and he's they're so far apart with this situation. And and then it's goodbye. It's great moment, and you know. And I love that she gives him his wave, like she just holds her hand up. Yeah. And he's like flailing his arms crazily when usually he's like the just having my hand up. Hey. And oh my gosh, this scene. Bob Dylan. Like you again, you could see he's over it. Yep. He's well, like you have no idea. The love is the love of his life almost died, you know, and and uh-huh. it's his fault. It's Russell's fault. I love how Russell doesn't care. He's singing a Buddy Holly song, Pegasus. Yeah, Pegasus. He doesn't care. Well, here's and when he started doing that, I got to thinking. I'm like, is that maybe a rock and roll superstition? Like, do not sing these songs on a plane. Maybe it might be. You know, like that makes me wonder if that's something that's very inside that no one's ever really talked about. Mm, I would love that if it was. Because it reminds me of Con Air. I don't know if you ever saw Con Air, one of the greatest movies of all time with Nicolas Cage and Steve Buscemi. I have not. As they take off from the airport where they stop and and gas up the plane with all the criminals that have taken over the plane, they start playing Sweet Home Alabama, and all the people on the plane are jamming out the Sweet Home Alabama, and Steve Buscemi's like, define define irony. A bunch of idiots (laughs) dancing, (laughs) dancing to a song on a plane by a group that was killed in a plane crash. Seriously. Oh, my God. And then we get that, like, all of a sudden we realize, like, maybe I never said this enough, but I love all of you. Like, we start to get all of these moments, well, and, and they eventually get what's great, totally bastardized. What's great is, like, Russell's doing this great moment, this great thing. of cause, And, and it kind of lets you back into his little heart. Like, he's not all bad. You know, his concern was he wanted the guys to know that he genuinely loved them. And, but now it turns into, you know, Jimmy Fallon almost killed a man. and <laughs> <laughs> Especially after Marta left me. And it, listen, if I took an extra dollar or two, it's because I knew I'd earned it. <laughs> Road manager admits to stealing stuff. Of course. <laughs> and All now the here guys comes. Dan slept with his girl. That's right. <laughs> I waited until you broke up with her, but me too. <laughs> and then the bomb drops. Mm, when you were fighting. Yep. It didn't count. It was the summer we decided to be free of all rules. We were on a break. I don't love you, man. I never did. I love I love Jason Lee in this movie. Yeah, none of us did. <laughs> oh. And the whole, I had to live with you, and now I might die with you, and it's not effing fair. <laughs> like, just such a petulant child. It's yeah. great. Mm. And then Russell's like, we're about to die. Like, stop it. And I'm Bob, still in love with you, Leslie. Love with her. <laughs> I don't want to hear any more. Shut up, Jeffrey. Shut up, Jeffrey. It's, Jeffrey. But look, someone says it's all happening. Uh-huh. That's... The road manager. It's all happening. And again, he calls her a groupie. Yeah. And I love that William's like, that groupie? And he is like, absolutely not. Stand up for your girl, William. I quit. I quit. <laughs> here she here he goes this is just such a great moment like he's just putting it all out there yep he used her and threw her away she almost died last night while you're with bob dylan 
How about that? How's that make you feel? I love the disdain he says Bob Dylan with, like, you know. <laughs> Bob Dylan. In 73, Bob Dylan's a god. And you're just like, Bob Dylan. <laughs> you can't see that's your biggest problem. And I love her. Aw. Bless his heart. And here we go. I mean, the moment that's about to save them all. Yes. With good old Silent Ed. <laughs> his only lines in the movie. <laughs> What's up? And look, this 73. So think about this. 1973. Someone admits this. This is a big deal. And, and I love that they're all just like, what? And it's not cool. You know, it's not something that was cool back then. And then everything settles in. I love the look on his face. He's like, the, the best part is the pilot here. Thank God above. We're still alive. We're alive. We're going to make it. I just, oh, sweet relief. Hallelujah, dear God. Things you never want to hear your pilot say. Oh, that's what I love is just the complete lack of professionalism of that moment. We're alive. Hallelujah. Sweet God. I mean, isn't that how we would all act? No. Oh. Yeah, but a pilot is supposed to be like, everything's okay, fam. We're sorry about the, uh, we're sorry about that, I guys. The whole time. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, I mean, look. And what I love, though, is like knowing that he, he toured with the Eagles or he, he rode with the Eagles a little bit to see them fighting like this. I just go back to that documentary we've referenced several times where oh they're like, my God. where they're threatening to kick each other's butt on stage. It's like one of the most hilarious things you've ever heard in your life. Oh, it's again, it's children. It's total yeah. children. Yeah. So they're in Tupelo, the home of Derek, the home of Derek Russell. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yep. With the Confederate flag in the background. There, yeah. I'm sure people would be upset about that. Yeah, that's one of those things that's a problem today in 2020, huh? Yeah. Of course, granted, Mississippi... They'd have to edit that out if they made that now. Right. Mississippi just changed their state flag. Did they really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. To get that... To, well, to get those stars and bars off of there. I mean, it only took them till 2020, Kristen. I, I mean... Better late than never, I guess. Right. <laughs> and I love that. I guess. <sighs> I love that moment with Russell, too. Like, that totally stoic, genuine, write what you want. Yeah. He goes back on that, but write what you want. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, baby. And they all see him. They all know he's 15. <laughs> $600 in room service. <laughs> Same. <laughs> It's a puff piece. Mm. <laughs> and here you go. They call all the women chicks. <laughs> it's a puff piece. It's a puff piece. Thanks, Dwight. <laughs> you wanted them to like you. It's only natural. <laughs> oh. Like, again, it's like this 15-year-old kid is just being grilled by these adults. And he's like, give me tonight to work on it. Yeah. it's Well, I mean, like, the minute you realize it's a 15-year-old, it's like, what do you... You would think their expectations would be lowered, but it's the 70s. And so they say, you took, you stepped into this. You have to honor your commitment. Yeah. You get no leeway here, buddy. And I love this. I love looking through the Polaroids, seeing these moments that we kind of saw mm -hmm. on screen but some that we haven't you know you get the tender picture with penny and russell there and then we get the beautiful philip seymour hoffman monologue uh, 
this this is the thing you know at this time by this time you realize that everything he's saying is from experience it, it's it's good and he's got the kid's best interest at heart i yep. love, I met you you are not cool <laughs> you are not cool and i love this like and it's something that um is interesting that during um that podcast that i listened to with cameron crow he said like when he wrote this monologue it was very much like a rally cry. Like we are uncool. Like mm -hmm. it was like this whole thing. And Philip Seymour Hoffman was like, I'll do it your way. Um, now can I do it? Like me and William are the only two people awake in the world. Mm -hmm. And he did this scene and he did it this way. And Cameron Crowe was like, this is better than I ever could have imagined it being. And it's, I mean, it's a honestly, for the uncool people in the crowd, ladies and gentlemen, it's a beautiful monologue. Yep. Um, I'm always home. I'm uncool. Yep. Yep. I yep. love the only true bank or the only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool. How real is that statement? Mm hmm. Like, so great. And another great thing with Philip Seymour Hoffman, especially since this is his last scene in the movie, is. He in like he came on set. He wasn't there for very long. You know, he doesn't have a lot of scenes, and he just kind of did his thing. Um, and he invited Cameron Crowe to a movie premiere that he would that he had, and he pulled Cameron into like this little side room. He's like, "Come here, I want to talk to you." And Cameron was like, kind of intimidated. He's like, "Uh oh," because he he already made some uh you know some mess ups with Philip Seymour Hoffman during the filming of this, and um. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman takes him into this room and he just goes, I just want you to know, I really love your movie. Mm -hmm. And I, and I just wanted to tell you that. And he was like, I literally walked out and started crying Wow. because it, it was like, I got approval from somebody that I looked up to. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Also the great under the breath of, of uh, Russell, you are a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I love what he tells him. Um, he says, he, you know, what, going back to the Hoffman thing, he says, you want to be a true friend to him, be honest and unmerciful. And so yep. then, you know, Jason Lee right there says, you know, is this really what we are? You know, yep. are we trying We're hard? Foods. Yeah, trying hard to be cool, you know. And um, And this is the moment that is just absolutely like, heartbreaking because they you know it and you find out it's russell that betrays him yep and so you wasted our time and they're all like what and like he was so happy five seconds ago and then he's just he's floundering right now and mm. it makes no sense because that's his guy he was like he told me to wait what i wanted yeah yep and i did yep Yeah, and I, yeah, it's the harsh reality of life. Yep, and apparently this is almost like an exact replica of the actual Rolling Stone offices from the seventies. Mm. These outfits right here, my God! Yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> I know they're uh, stewardesses, but come on. <laughs> yeah. I, this is such a cool moment, you know. Obviously, fortuitous and. <laughs> <laughs> nice to finally meet you. Have a good day. 
You have a good day. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> bye bye. Oh, bye bye. And you could tell she's like, oh God. Yeah. I have to swoop in and play big sister now. But you know what? What's great is, you know, in their relationship, she doesn't mind. And I love, she's like, it's great you're living your life. She has no idea what life he has lived. And she's still yep. so, and she's still, she's just like, you're free. And she's still so bitter, you know, toward her mom. She's like, you're free of mom. Yep. And, you know, and, and not realizing that, um, what, what, of course, what's about to go down and what has gone down with him. And I like the fact that we never really see them talk about it if they do, yep. you know. And I just love that she says, like, anywhere you want to go in the world, we'll go. Mm-hmm. And he's like, home. Yeah. Because that's... I, look, that's, this... Sometimes this, it's what you need. This whole scene on the porch is just absolutely beautiful. Yep. You I know, love that he pushes them together. They have that awkward hug. They start crying. It's like they don't they I love don't that, know how to interact. I love Zoe Deschanel looks scared when she goes in for the hug. But but the thing is what And then she like shakes her head like, yes, it's okay. What's so what's so beautiful about it to me is Francis McDermott Francis Mc, I can't say her name. Francis McDormand, dead gummit Steve. Elaine, just <laughs> the the look on her face when she sees William standing there yeah. is sadness and joy mixed. And, and it's, you know, and and she knows there's no sense in being overbearing, giving a speech. She's just glad he's home and she's heartbroken for whatever he's gone through because he looks, he's been run through the mill. And with, with, um, with Zoe, what's his sister's name? Anita, you know, it's just like, again, no speech. She's just glad to see her, you know? It was, it was, you're 18, I can't stop you, you know, and now it's just, just an embrace and tears. It's just a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment of coming home and, you know, it's something that you hope everyone has the ability to do someday in their life, whatever home is for them, you know. And again, in the uncut scene of this scene, or the, the untitled scene of this scene, there's a great moment between Russell and Jeff where essentially they're talking about how all the great duos hated each other. Mm-hmm. And Russell's like, I, we didn't hate each other that much. Did we? And Jeff's like, Oh, he's like, I could work on it. Like I could get there. I think. And they both like laugh. And he essentially says like, you know, I'm the Jeff says to Russell, I'm the you they get when they can't get you. Mm. And I'm like, oh, like that hits me. And then you get Sapphire's amazing line of like, you know, none of these, like these new girls, like none of them use birth control. They eat all the steak. So you get your laugh Mm -hmm. and then you go into like the, they don't even know what it is to to be a fan, to truly love some, you know, silly little piece of music or some band so much that it hurts. Mm. And again, like that speaks to me as mm-hmm. even as a 30 year old that speaks to me yeah and the way she delivers it like she delivers that line just like with so much conviction it's like again like as a kid when i first saw this movie it's like i feel seen mm-hmm. i like um i like that she never says a word here 
Yes. You know, she's going to make him talk and make him say yes. what, what he's got to say. And in the theatrical cut, you know, this is really the first time we see them interact to this extent. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and so I think it really works on an artistic level. I know that, you know, in the, in the other cut that you get to see them more. Um, but, uh, but this is just a, a really cool moment to me. The fact that she doesn't talk and then what she actually, what we find out she actually does where she sends him. And, um, it, it's a cool moment by her, but I, back to the Sapphire conversation, you know, one of the things she says that really hits him is not just what you, the quote that you talked about, which is the, the, that seals the deal. But when she says, we all know what you did. Yes. You know, Even like Penny Lane. Yeah. You, you broke the kid's heart. Yep. And, uh, and, and for whatever reason, they all had a certain affection for him. And I love the line too, that Russell gives in this scene of like, you know, let's say all the things we never said. Mm hmm. Like, how many times have you wanted to say that to someone that you knew you screwed up with? Like, let's say all the things we never said. Yes. Yep. And rare, and it's like when you think about it, you know, it could be said in both ways, right? Like, like to William, let's say all the things we never said to William. So when she sends him here, and I love, like, the, the bait and switch. Because when you see Elaine answer the door, you're like, oh! <gasps> <laughs> I mean, you know it from the house, too, but you're like, right. oh, my God, yep. you know? Yep. I love it, too. This is the famous Russell Hammond. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so not impressed. But she lets him in. She has that little smile and lets him in. Now, does Anita know who he is? She has to. I mean, you would think she does. But, like, I don't know. I can't really read it in her face. Right. Like, she right. looks kind of like, huh? I feel like she's kind of like, what is he doing here? And she's a little bit dumbstruck, you know, and confused. Yeah, because she's like, hello? <laughs> Where am I? Uh, hi. <laughs> he's like, okay, what? And then I love that he sees the pictures on the wall, and he's like, oh, yeah. my God. Well, and and he just leans in. He accepts it. You know, he, yep. he knows what's been done, and he knows why it's been done. He's just going to... And you see him it. when he like literally exhales and it's like everything rushes out of him. Yeah. He's like, all right, this is, this is the moment. I love it. Mm. I think you owe him an apology. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you showing up. <laughs> no, I agree, ma'am. Hope for you yet, Russell. Mm. Mm. And I love it. Like, because his whole thing at that one point in the movie is, you know, I'm looking for something real. And I, he he finally gets it. Yeah. Here, you know, like everything's stripped away. Like there's no more, you know, facade. Like this is just, here it is. You wanted real, here it is. Hmm. And I love this. This is where the enemy sleeps. Also, I would be mortified if I had, if the the guitar player in a band that I had on my wall walked into my room, I'd be like, oh my God, I have their poster on my wall. This is embarrassing. Well, here's, here's the thing. Um, well, first he mentioned, he brings up Penny, you know, and I guess she, she wanted, wanted us, us to be together. together. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
here's the thing, like the whole time, the enemy, the enemy, he walks in and what he sees on this kid's wall is that he's a fan. Yep. You know, he's not the enemy. He wasn't trying to ride coattails. He didn't, you know, he didn't want to be famous. He didn't want to necessarily, he just was a fan and he loves the music and, and he loved the, the opportunity to really pick these guys' brains about it and all. And so, um, yeah, like there's not a bone in his body that's like, I want to screw over Stillwater. Like yeah. I want to get in and then screw him over. Like, like no, he is, a, like you said, he's a fan. He wants to live in their world and observe their world and do it from an honest 15-year-old perspective, you know? It's crazy. Also, let's not miss the fact that he says, I never knew her real name. I know, and William just smiles. Just smiles. Like I do. Yeah. Well, he realizes he realizes that he ends up making a deeper connection with her than than he ever did. Yep, exactly. And I love this moment too. Like we're gonna do this one last time, and he's finally gonna get that interview. Mm-hmm. And again, like the beautiful last line, like so, Russell, what do you love about music? To begin with, everything. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's just well, and it's like he's gonna sit. He's gonna give him the. He he doesn't care. He's not afraid. Everything that could come out has come out now. So he's ready to talk. He's ready to bear his soul. And and that's what you want to hear from these guys that do this. You know, I mean, like you, you think about one of the things that we love about Bruce. I love No More Airplanes Tour, by the way. I know. <laughs> Tour 74. <laughs> one of the things we love about Bruce is, you know, just the stories behind it all and that he just kind of opens his soul up. I love they look like they're having fun there. You know what I mean? You know, it's yeah. just, oh. And Anita's at the interaction. Yeah. Like they're obviously listening to music. They're drumming. And then she goes to Morocco when when he's like, there's never been a Morocco. It's like, well, she went to Morocco. She did it. The Rolling Stone cover with almost all of them in focus, except Ed. (laughs) Great, great shot here. Grabbing the, grabbing the sunglasses. Sunglasses. And I love this again, that stoic wave. Mm hmm. The smile from Russell as he pulls away and the tour bus. Like, I have goosebumps. <laughs> what was going I'm really glad I didn't cry because I have cried many times this week while watching it's, this movie. It's a great close. It's a great ending to to the film. It's a great wrap up and um you know, it and it re- I think I think Cameron Crowe really accomplished what he set out to do, writing the love letter to to music. You know, I this this movie really does you know, speak to this podcast that we've been doing for these years. You know, it's, it's such a, it, it, it's such a, it, it, it echoes so much of what we've talked about, you know, from it just jams to those moments where we've gotten real, you know, because the song has demanded we get real about what we love about this song or that lyric or, or what's going on. And so watching it, like I said the other night, it absolutely, spoke to me in a different way than it did 20 years ago because I have the benefit now we as you know you do when you get older you have the benefit of hindsight and you're able to you know where maybe I probably you know if I got super deep and tried to be really sharp I'd say well I was resisting the look at myself then but you know also I was just watching a movie you know now through the lens of all that we've done and all that we've talked about on this show it, it causes this movie to have that much more uh, impact when when you see it and um 
but I, I I love the fact that it's fun. I love the fact that it has heart. I love the fact that it rips your guts out. I love the fact mm-hmm. that you know the minute it rips your guts out, it'll also make you laugh. And yeah. um, and so it's just a it's a great movie. Um, and I know it's one. Of you, I know it's your favorite. So it's my all time favorite. <laughs> to me, it could never get better than this movie like in my entire life i don't think i'll ever see a movie that it's to me better and speaks to me more than this movie because again i was a super young kid going to concerts meeting bands hanging out with bands not to this extent but you do you create your own little family of people that you see when you go to shows like so much of this movie spoke to me and also like being a kid a young kid watching this and again feeling like you don't fit in and then seeing like my people are out there i just have to find them Mm -hmm. like seeing that like this is possible to find those kindred spirits and then when you do it's like oh my god like it really can be like this Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah well it's uh it it is I mean, like, it is it not truly, truly... Oh, here you go. Vocals performed by Marty, Marty Fredrickson. Fredrickson. Who is that? <laughs> I don't know. He's the guy that came up that it said who the vocals were. I just saw credit. that. Yeah, I just saw that. <laughs> Marty Fredrickson. I mean, it came Sorry, right up. I interrupted you. <laughs> he is an American songwriter, record producer, musician. Oh, there you go. He produces music primarily in rock, country, and pop. Best known for his work with many artists and bands, including The Struts, Oh, oh, wait, yes, I knew that. Aerosmith, Gavin Rossdale, Carrie Underwood, Buck Cherry. Hey, you're a crazy... Uh, Daltrey, hey. Osborne, <laughs> Motley Crue, and Faith Hill. Uh, and he did the vocals for Stillwater on Almost Famous. Love so, that. Yeah. Come on, Marty. There's your Struts connection. How about that? We can get a Struts connection everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I also love how long the song credits are. Oh yeah, like, yeah. It just keeps going and going. It is um Well, I love that they say it was I love like on the on the Stillwater songs, like in the credits as uh written by Russell Hammond, performed by Stillwater. Right? That's so amazing. Is that yeah, great? by Russell Hammond and Jeff Beatty, performed by Stillwater. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where like if people were to say, like, oh yeah, like, you know, give me a list of like your top five fictional bands, like Stillwater has to be on the list. Mm-hmm. Like I would say Stillwater one and Infant Sorrow two. <laughs> Maybe Steel Dragon as well. Steel Dragon. Oh, Steel Dragon from um Rockstar. From Rockstar, yeah. You know what? That's another <laughs> one we could watch. I'm down. I own it on DVD. And dig on. Yeah. I haven't watched that one in a while. Um, <laughs> that's a little bit more risque. Oh, but... yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. What is the one? What's the musical? The jukebox musical that uses so much Journey music? Oh, um, Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages. Yeah. I've never seen that before. Really? Yeah, because um, I wanted to see the play, mm-hmm. but I like the movie. I'm like absolutely not. Yeah, like because no. of, because it's Tom Cruise or no? Because I don't mind Tom Cruise. It's just it felt very. It didn't feel serious. It mm. felt kind of like jokey. Like it felt kind of spinal tappy to me. And I was like, no, I don't like how this is. And like when you have like Julianne, I think Julianne Huff is in it. Like no, I'm yeah. good. I watched it. It's actually pretty good. Um, what frustrated me the most is they use a lot of Journey and the 
The dude's love interest name is Sherry, and they never use old Sherry. What? Yeah. That's a layup, Like, man. you just keep expecting it, and it never happens. It never happens. Yeah. Oh, um, so good. I want to close out, uh, Kristen. It's been it's been a blast watching this with you, and and I I'm so glad that we did this. We're going to be too. back. We're going to be back next week, looking at the soundtrack to Almost Famous, and so Whee! we'll walk back through these songs. We're even going to play a snippet of Alvin and the Chipmunks. So, um, <laughs> only time probably on uh, Rocket Loud. What a, that. what a what an amazing way for this movie to open though. You know, after you get those really cool, you get the really cool opening credits of someone writing on a legal pad with a pencil. And then. Cameron Crowe writing on a legal pad with a pencil. Right. And then you cut to, all right, boys, here we go. Okay. And. I'll say we are. Yeah. Let's sing it now. Okay, Simon. Okay. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, and so it's just like, oh, this is a song. This is a movie about rock music, you know, and it opens. It's just great. Um, I want to close with one other thing, and I want to encourage you to do so. Is Have you ever seen Peter Kay play the shovel? No. Okay. Peter Kay is a comedian. I guess he's from Britain. Okay. And he's kind of a chunky dude. Okay. And um, he... He one of his bits that kinds of come, that comes across like when people are sharing videos all the time are like misheard lyrics. And so okay. he, he's got his phone up, and he'll say, I heard this, and then he'll play the song, you know, the clip of the song, and he'll mouth the thing that he just said, so you actually end up hearing those misheard lyrics. But apparently at the end of this big stadium show he was doing, like, there was a ton of people there. Like, he's apparently really big. Uh, he's a chunky guy. He They bring out a shovel that has a strap attached to it, and he just basically air guitars on the shovel while, uh-huh. they're, while they actually play the music through the speakers. Oh God! And so, and it, and it's kind. Of, you're like you're sitting there. It's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. All right, this is cute. That's nice, you know. And then they bring out they. He finishes the first thing he does because he actually then starts singing the song, whatever he's playing. And then he ends and like, okay, yeah, that's a funny bit. Wish I'd have thought of that. Because really, I'm watching. I'm like, this is this this is something I should have thought of and done in my life. <laughs> and then they bring him out this contraption that's like two shovels that looks like you know the double armed guitar. And he's like, it's a double shovel. And he goes and he does, uh, he, he he sounds like he's doing Eye of the Tiger. And I forget what he actually ends up singing. But then he, you know, everything, you know, then there's there's fireworks going off around him. Like he's acting like he's actually doing rock music on a shovel. It is hilarious. You did miss your calling, Steve. Come on. I know. And so then he gets over to the mic. He puts the shovel down and, and all the music slows down. And it's We Are the Champions. Oh. And he pulls the mic up off the stand, so he's got kind of the half mic stand deal like Freddie Mercury does. And he rips his shirt off, and he's got like this tight tank top on with a um with a lightning bolt down it. Like Freddie Mercury. Oh my god! <laughs> I pulled it up. I just added it to my uh to my watch list. It is it is, you know, it's like uh, and obviously, you know, the whole crowd starts singing We Are the Champions along with him and everything. And he doesn't, what's great is he doesn't try to do Freddie Mercury. He doesn't try to take it up into a register that's not his. He just kind of hangs right down here and sings. On, it's almost frustrating to hear, but it's also hilarious. 
<laughs> and uh, and so I thought about you when I saw that when it came across. I'm like, this is one of those things that Kristen would either absolutely love or is going to absolutely hate. And so, <laughs> so I expect a I expect a book report on that our next meeting when we get back of together. Course. <laughs> I, I like I said, I added it to my watch list, and it will be watched, and I will report back with a full review. <laughs> <laughs> In the. <laughs> In the meantime, uh, we'd love to hear from all of you at rockoutloudpod at gmail.com. That's rockoutloudpod at gmail.com. You can join us over in the Guardians of the Goliverse group where we talk about all the different podcasts we do. Um, uh, as, you know, with, uh, with Rock Out Loud, Geek Out Loud, The Big Honkin' Show, the occasional Disney Vault Talk, all the other stuff that goes on. And, um, and, and there is a Rock Out Loud Facebook page as well. Hit us up any of those ways. We'd love to hear from you on, uh, on, those, on those formats, especially the email. We'd love to read emails. But next time, we're going to hit up the Almost Famous soundtrack. And Kristen, there is a Spotify um, playlist that actually has the full... All the songs in order that they are played. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I'm looking at the at the deal on Amazon right now. I don't even know if Amazon Music has the full album to listen to, based on maybe some streaming stuff and everything. So. Oh really? Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I know that there's like two songs on the Spotify playlist that are not there. Yeah. Well, I I want to I, I kind of want to quote you here when you sent me that the other day. <laughs> it was. Oh some, God. It was. What some, did I say? Well, it's one of those classic, uh, classic Kristen texts um, that was like that made me laugh because it's the uh, is it Joni Mitchell? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> River. Kristen says, "Let me find it here. I'm, I'm trying to get around a thousand things." Um, there's the Spotify link. There we go. Um. This playlist is absolutely incredible. It's every song used in the movie. And I said, great, we can discuss the official soundtrack release and fill in the gaps with the playlist. Perfect. Because we'd be dumb not to talk about that gosh darn Joni Mitchell song. (laughs) And if you know Kristen. I didn't say gosh darn. Right. So. (laughs) It's so much fun. So obviously, you know, when Kristen gets uh, passionate about music, it's going to be a good time and we will be passionate about music. So uh, on the next episode, when we get back together on Rock Out Loud, until then, we hope you've enjoyed watching along with us. Until next time, I'm Steve. I'm Kristen. Rock on, everybody. Now, if I were a real podcaster, I'd fade out and I would have the clip queued up where where Philip Seymour Hoffman says, Stillwater, kids on drugs. Kids doing drugs. <laughs>